Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. <laughs> Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. So we have both watched Cocaine Bear, and I think we have some uh, maybe slightly different opinions on the movie. I don't know, but we'll see. What were your thoughts on the Universal uh, slasher animal movie? Uh, I did not know this was Universal, actually. So that just went up even more of a notch. Um, Long story short, I fucking loved the movie. I loved it. Was it perfect? No, but it also wasn't trying to be. See, here's my thing. Should you watch it? Yes. I I feel like, I mean, it was fun. I don't have any complaints about watching it. Here's my nitpicks about it. Um, The tone I'd heard, and I told you about this offline, or I think I might've told you, I might've told Cody, but it was one of the two. The tone is really, really weird in this movie because, and I don't think that Elizabeth Banks handled it the best way. It's trying to be a comedy. It's trying to be a slasher. And it does both well when it tries, but then it like it, it, it's, it's like you're getting whiplash. It's like one second you're, you know, you're sitting there laughing at these goofy ass, you know, uh, characters in the movie and then the next minute uh, you have a legit scary scene with this bear stalking people mm-hmm. like it it i, it, I, I don't know it, it's real i mean i my comedy horror movies i, I love them but I, I like a little consistency in them and i don't feel like th- this one was just like too back and forth for me in that in that sense not like i said i still recommend it but it, it's weird that way um the other big thing that bothered me was i wish to god that she would have went more practical this movie there were so many scenes where the gore looked fantastic Mm -hmm. but then like a split second later the way that the body fell or something like that it was so uncanny valley with the uh with the cgi that they used that that it took me out of the movie and i'll give you the one example in the movie there's a person in a tree cocaine bears attacking them chomping on them and they fall to the ground and the way that they fall and then immediately flop over it looks so just weird that yeah even though that the, <clears throat> the effect of the leg being gnawed off was so you know just gnarly and cool yeah that whenever the body flopped i'm like okay that's like a video game character or something like dying it, it just it was I wish that it, there was like more practical effects in the movie. It would have, because there was good effects. Yeah. They, they, I think that 
they would have, and I don't know if it would have cost more if they, they just didn't want to go that route with it, but I just feel like that that, to me, it kind of uh, made things a little odd when watching it. There was definitely some cartoonish parts of the film. Literally, there was actual cartoon in there, but like... <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but no, actually, never mind. I take that back. There wasn't. That was a different. That was a preview. I saw. Just kidding. Different animal movie. Um, but there, there was some cartoonish parts. Like you could definitely tell with the bear and its facial reactions. Um, were a little definitely cartoony. But uh, you're right. The the guy falling down. I'll give you another example too. So the guy falling out of the tree. They should have had his neck snap. There was no yes. nothing that implied that it would have put, he landed right on top of his head. His neck should have snapped, and you're right, it looked a little cartoonish. It was a little too fast. Um, how he fell, I don't. Yeah, mean, it, <clears throat> it was it was too. I mean, it was trying to add to the comedy, even though mm-hmm. in that particular scene, they would have been better served as to have went with the gore. If oh you understand yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, because they had gore in the film, so it's not like you know they were lacking that. But when the bear fell, and you thought. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> when the bear fell and landed on its back, um, and yeah. and I was like, that was just, I don't know. I, I didn't like the way that, because like, you didn't, I don't know. You don't know what's happening in that particular scene. You're like, is it dead? Is it alive? Is it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was when I you to mention the bear. That was, I mean, I had to let that go because like as soon as the movie started and I saw that it was like the CGI of its face and, mm-hmm. and everything, I, I had to just let that go. I mean, the CGI is, is, is good. I mean, but then oh, it, it is, gets, yeah. I mean, but it, but it goes to the cartoony route at times when they're trying to convey like emotions in the bear. And I just feel like a couple of times if they would have had like a bear prosthetic head or something that, that, that would have worked better in place of what they did. But, um, I have a question for you though. Yeah. What did, did I don't know why they followed um, some of the characters that they did in the movie for mm-hmm. as long as they <laughs> did. And I heard this complaint from another podcast or a YouTube video I was watching, and I have to agree with them. I feel like some of the characters' backstories or the way that we follow them should have been cut to focus on more uh, some like the kids, especially like the kids were good in this movie. Oh my Both god, were they were were great. But they never got any screen time because we were getting these weird ass like that, the, like the cop who's following along, and he's he's got this weird thing about a dog that he's trying. Oh to yeah, I don't understand, and it it serves no purpose in the story. I mean, yes, it's goofy and maybe adds to the comedy, but you can serve the comedy without having him have a backstory. Like I don't understand any of that stuff. Yeah, he was not very relevant to the story. We don't even know what fully happens with him. You can assume, um, even his character, like. It was just kind of to bring him back, bring it around back downtown, you know, um, which you're right. We could have done without that. Um, the punk kids was kind of funny just because it brought some yeah. horror comedy into it, especially via, um, oh, God, Sean and the Dead almost. Yes. You know, Oh, speaking of that, speaking of that, there was two audio cues in the movie. The first one is when the movie starts and they're playing the Universal logo, mm-hmm. uh, Wet Hot American Summer had that same exact song that was playing in that, which I thought was weird because Elizabeth Banks obviously was in Wet Hot American yeah. Summer. And then at the end of the movie, they started playing a Shaun of the Dead song. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, that I, I Get Higher Baby or whatever. Oh, you know, yeah. That, uh, but yeah, that was a, that's song. a cocaine song. 
<laughs> it is, but I mean, and it fits, but it just, it, the two of them and the fact that it has almost that Shaun of the Dead feel at one point that yeah. you're talking about, it kind of, it was kind of weird that it tied in that way. Yeah. Um, I want to say something about the kids. Incredible actors. Uh, you're right. They didn't get enough screen time. And it is so random to find kids that are such good and delivering their, delivering their parts so well. I wonder that Elizabeth Banks maybe didn't have them in as much because maybe there was points where a flaws were starting to show, or maybe she thought that, you know, while kids are not really considered to be the best actors in movies ever so that she shouldn't have them in too much. I don't know. Um, they were great. Uh, however, uh, one of the issues I had is they did Coke in the film, not as experts at all as idiots, no. <laughs> uh, just as kids, like, oh, I've heard that this stuff is crazy. I, I do it all the time. Like, just fucking. And they did. They were not affected at all by the Coke. At all. I thought that was yeah, a bit I unrealistic. Kept, I kept waiting for their mouths to get numb at one yeah. point because that's what would happen the way that they tried yeah. the cocaine. Well, the boys did. He said yeah. that. But that oh, was Okay, it. okay. I, I didn't catch that part. Yeah. Uh, that, that boy was like, actually, the, that's the reason that, that it makes me mad that they're not in the movie more than they are is because he actually had the best comedic delivery in the oh entire movie. Yes. And he wasn't, and he, he wasn't in it enough like that. Yeah. that just that, That's awful. He um, fucking nailed it for sure. <laughs> All the actors actually were very good. I was so funny. If you're going to want to laugh at me, uh, I, I, I knew O'Shea Jackson Jr. was Ice Cube's son, but I was in that watching that movie like, this looks like Ice Cube's son. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it was. He was in the NWA documentary film, or not documentary, but mocking, I don't know, not mockumentary. Yeah, the straight out of Compton movie. Yeah. yeah he was playing his dad in that movie, and Which, it was perfect because perfect. he looks and sounds just like him. Looks, so. sounds, and acts like his dad, moves like his dad. I was like, is this a CGI fucking Ice Cube because I know he's in a recent movie, and I, I was like, is this the movie he was in? I don't know. I don't know what's going on half the time. The uh, the one thing that he doesn't have is he doesn't have the scowl, because he's actually, he's got a he's got one of those faces that you can tell he naturally smiles a lot, and yeah. Ice Cube has a face that he naturally scowls, scowls a, lot. a lot. So it's, uh, that's the difference <laughs> between the two of them. Ice Cube grew up really a real hard life, so yeah. he had to develop that scowl. Whereas O'Shea Jackson, I'm going to guess he had a pretty good fucking life. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to bet that he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that uh, I'm. Those are the, my biggest complaints about the movie, and they don't detract from it. It's just it's one of those things that it was. I was watching it, and I'm like, this movie is so close to being like one of those that I would like recommend to everybody. Like, I mean, if it just had a little bit here, a little bit there, but it, but it just barely missed the mark. Um, but it's still enjoyable to watch. It is. Yeah. I mean, I. It's a like I said, you. It's a. For me, it's a must a must see, and then you can determine for yourself if you're like, oh my god, I did not like this film, or <laughs> it was great. I specifically enjoyed it, uh, and I again not like a high expectations. I actually expected it to be a little bit more schlocky than it was. Um, it got fucking serious at times, and I did. Yeah. I actually enjoyed how it went from a really calm moment to oh, we're fucked. Like instantly this movie did not fuck around it got right into it um lots of gore lots of action lots of fear lots of movement i was i was all about it uh one thing i was going to bring up is that 
this actually uh, beat out, I, th- I think, I-, I believe it beat out, or it's already beat out this weekend, uh, Ant-Man, or it looks like it's on track <laughs> too. I'm not surprised. Uh, this movie is has a lot of buzz surrounding it, for sure. Um, you, what I do like about this movie, excuse me, the buzz ar- about the movie, not so much the movie, is that the buzz doesn't give away a lot of what you're getting in the film because this film was a surprise to me. Like even Noah, he was like, I, he was expecting so much worse. And maybe that's where, where we came out liking the film is because we didn't have, I guess, hardly any high expectations for it. No, I mean, I thought it was going to be just a schlocky mess, like you said, yeah. too. And the thing is, what I wasn't expecting, and something that people might want to look for, speaking of what season we're in, there are certain scenes they film in the movie, it's almost like you're watching the animal version of Jason mm-hmm. or something, the way that it stalks its prey yes. and, the, and the way that she sets up the scenes. I mean, when they say this is a slasher, they're not, like, just leading you on with that. Like, I mean, they're, it is filmed that way. Oh, yeah, times. 100%. So, um. Yeah, God, I I had a ton of fun watching this film. (laughs) And it definitely, a full review is definitely going to have to be done in When Bad Animals Go Bad. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring it back up, if nothing else, for like a comedic refresher between some of them. Yeah. I I did want to mention, speaking of Ant-Man, I I think, because I heard a little bit of this whenever you shared it from the the Rayman podcast or whatever, uh, that they were talking about how this movie is a refreshing change from like the superhero fatigue that everybody's currently going through with yes. uh, Marvel. And I heard somebody uh, make the comment uh, on the review. Cause I've not, I've not watched it and I don't plan on it because mm-hmm. it just doesn't look appealing to me. I am kind of burnt out on those movies that it, Catherine Newton, you know, we, we, I, I discussed that, you know, how Vince Vaughn just outshone her in every way during, you know, freaky or whatever. Uh, they they kind of hinted that she had a similar problem. I mean, of course, she's opposite Paul Rudd, so she's got another issue in that <laughs> sense. Uh, you got two charismatic comedians, and she's having to play opposite them. But they and and they also said that she wasn't given a whole lot to act off of, which is you know unfortunate. But they said that man, she's kind of got like it's it's almost a non acting thing that we mentioned in Freaky, which I think is kind of a concern for her as an actress. It's like. If she doesn't get a good role here soon that allows her to show off her talent, I feel like she's not going to be cast a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I guess, well, to be fair, I didn't even pay attention to who the cast was. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's just going to, oh, my God. She doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, they they actually the one person they said stands out in the movie the most is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I they just said that saw she, that. I was like, Michelle Pfeiffer's in this fucking film. She's toast. They they said that she is uh, the the thing that if you're going to watch it that you'll appreciate most in the movie. She's bringing her a game in that movie. Oh my god, I I do feel bad for Catherine Newton, but I mean, what? Okay, it. What does she do though? Like, does she do what? Um, why can't I think of um, the guy right now, David Bautista? Does she go his route and say, I'm going to take this serious. I'm going to start taking some classes. Has she taken classes and she just doesn't have it? Is it the casting? I mean, because even, no, because there are some, you know, novice actors or early actors, green peas, if you will, that have been put up against some of the greatest. And you're like, wow, like, I've never heard of this person before. And they're fucking amazing. I can give you one example. Um it's the it's the movie we reviewed in 
It, it was supposed to be like the the sequel to um to oh my god why can't I think right now oh my god I'm gonna have to go back into our it's supposed to be like a sequel to uh here's Johnny fucking what's his name oh the shining shining yeah. okay you're talking about uh, you and McGregor is that who you're referencing but the little girl that's the little said, girl that's, yeah yeah her she was up with you and McGregor and she was fucking amazing yeah, we were like, she and brought, she's a kid yeah, actor that's a good point like she really stood out in that movie even though he is like you know you and McGregor yeah you know obviously was standing she was standing toe-to-toe with him I, that's a good point so what do what are our what are our opinions on that? Is Catherine Newton, Newton does she just not have it? I don't think it's almost looking like I mean unless and I mean I don't have that many roles to go off of. I yeah. mean we, we got Supernatural and she was one of the better ones of the girls in that mix, but that's not saying anything whatsoever. <laughs> um, and there's actually a reference back to Supernatural in one of these podcasts we'll, where, you know, or one of the episodes there are parts of the podcast today in the trivia that I'll get to Kim Rhodes was almost cast as one of the characters in a screen movie. We'll get to that. Oh, that would have been awesome. But, um, but it's, it's one of those things that like she stood out there, but that's like a, you know, was a big fish in a small pond scenario. It's like, there's like, now that she's kind of broke out and like, they're like kind of picking her for some of these bigger roles. It's like, it's really not, she's really not, standing out she she's not turning into like a Jenna ortega uh Mm-mm. you know emma roberts mentioned some that we're going to be discussing you know on the podcast or you know um you know on a taylor joy like she's not really i mean she doesn't have that potential or at least i'm not yeah, seeing yeah i'm not seeing it either i have to agree with you on that i did not know and also we totally missed out but i don't know that i i probably wouldn't have wanted to go all through these but i did not know Catherine newton was in the paranormal activity movies uh, yeah, I, d- I didn't realize that either, but and we missed that during ghost season. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll revisit that another time. <laughs> Are you ready to get into this? Because let's... we're about to scream our hearts out on this one. <laughs> hey, let's do it. Welcome back to Death Holler. Uh, do you like scary movies? I am your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me as always via 90s landline connection is my co-host and resident ghost face, La Urena. Who you been stabbing lately, Urena? Oh, you know, just the hearts of uh, innocent men that uh, won't give me their soul, so I'm going to try to take it. So, you know. <laughs> you, you cut your hubby's heart out a long time ago and got it uh, over the mantle, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yes, folks, we are jumping the slasher timeline quite a bit by going from Friday the 13th to the Scream franchise. We will get to all the other ones, uh, all the other classics. Just hold on. But we thought that it was best if we timed the release for Scream retrospective right before the newest Scream sequel hit theaters. We plan to cover Scream 6 as a special presentation and, of course, follow up all of this with a review of Scary Movie Part 1. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> So unless your name is Sidney Prescott and you're a whore of a mother screwed over the lives of half of Woodsboro, (laughs) 
take a break, relax, and join us for a discussion of the most meta slasher franchise ever ever produced. Uh, first podcast plug: If you're enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. We also can uh, also consider following us on social media. You can find us on TikTok and Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Now, this time, we're not going to be attacking the bees in the first half of the podcast, so if you're looking for that, hold off. I do have one, but it will be on the back end. Uh, we're just going to get right into this because the Scream movies have enough going on that we're going to be at this for a while. Movie discussion, the original, Scream 1996, tagline, from the first name in suspense comes the last word in fear. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's not bad. There was uh, there was a bunch for this movie, though, and some of them were pretty lame. Yeah. Directed by Wes Craven, um, Nightmare on Elm Street fame for the ones, and we will be getting to that series. Written by Kevin Williamson, music by Marco Beltrami. Budget of fifteen million U.S. dollars, box office of one hundred and seventy-three million. Jesus, that's the reason they keep making these. Yes, folks. they are money makers. Almost every single one of them. Um, we we spoke a little bit in the the cold open about the the Marvel movies. Uh, those things are barely breaking even. Uh, do their high budgets. These movies are made for some of the lowest budgets, and they always overperform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Principal players, and uh, uh, I, you're going to have truncated versions of this because this is one of the few franchises that we'll be discussing where the main actors and actresses stay the same. So, yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell playing Sydney Prescott, our perennial final girl. Uh, of course, she was in Wild Things, <laughs> The Craft, yeah. uh, with her fellow castmate, um, Skeet Ulrich. And uh, Party of Five, which will factor into some of the trivia because she was filming that while she was making most of these. Wasn't one of her act, one of the actors in Party of Five, wasn't he in one of the further down screen movies too? Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of okay. crossover between this, Dawson's Creek, and I don't know. There was like several. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. We discussed, you know, uh, Jensen and the, you know, in a long, lithy way. Uh, in the last podcast, but like, I mean, you know, he was on Dawson's Creek and like, it seemed like all those people of that generation that were on that show ended up in like horror movies around this time. It was like a CW type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it was like they, they, they I, well, the funny thing is, is that Dawson's Creek was actually ran by Kevin Williamson. So that's the reason they all kind of filtered in the screen because they had already worked with him on, you know, Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Uh, we have Lee Waddell play in this one playing Ghostface, um, who is our slasher. And, of course, we get double the fun because, th- for the most part, there's always two. There's one exception, and we'll get to that one. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, a stuntman in Spider-Man in 2002, uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. He was a stuntman on Blade and also on X-Men First Class. We have uh, Skeet Ulrich playing Billy Loomis. What a fucking Sydney's name. Just- Skeet. Skeet, 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 skeet. I think you just cursed a few people uh, <laughs> by saying that. Uh, Sydney's disturbed boyfriend. Uh, he is most recently on Riverdale, uh, playing Jughead's dad. 
actually one of the better roles in that show, even though the show turned out to be fucking awful, yeah. you know, after the first season or two. Uh, we have, he was in, uh, more, more recently in a movie called Blood that came out in uh, 2022, a horror film. Uh, Scream 5, he actually came back and he did uh, play a part and we'll get to that. Uh, as said before, he was also in The Craft and he was actually in, as an extra in, no. te- or one of like the minor roles in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. I wonder if he was one of the teenagers at the Bad Club or something. He probably was. Yeah. I mean, because he he's got that look about him. That there, there's no way that he was playing like the you know the one of the baby face. Yeah. If you want to go by wrestling terms, he, he he's going to play one of the sketchier characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we <clears throat> we have a darling of the podcast, uh, Matthew Lillard, mm-hmm. uh, playing Stu Mocker, who is a friend of Billy. Some might say uh, more than friends. That's we'll get into that discussion a little bit later. And he's just dying, man. <laughs> dying, man. <laughs> he's dying too hard. Um, he is, of course, been he's been Shaggy Rogers and Scooby Doo since the the James Gunn uh, live action films, and for good reason because he can he he nailed that voice. Like yeah. he sounds like Casey Kasem used to. Look and the sound. That's true. He actually looked like a, a live action version should have looked. Uh, he was also an SLC punk. Of got a very sad ending. I don't know if you've ever watched that one, but it's just a heartrending ending for that movie. I've never even heard of it. Um, it's basically like these punk like uh, kids and and like you know Mormon territory basically, and uh, them dealing with like you know trying to rebel against the conservative life that they live under. And then like one of the 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 sad part of the movie comes in that one of the characters in the movie, and I can't I swear I'm I can't remember his name, either the actor or the the character he's playing. But like the the whole thing about the character is he's straight straight edged. Like he never like takes a drug whatsoever he's having these real bad headaches toward the end of the movie and he ends up taking like this drug at a party that somebody tells him is Tylenol and it fucking kills him. And that, that's, that's how the movie ends. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Like, yeah. I mean, the way that it saw, r- rolls out. You're talking about Devin um, Sawa? Yeah, it's, uh, it, I don't know. It's, it's a really good movie and, and everybody involved, you know, really good, you know, acting parts in the movie. A lot of good actors in this uh, film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it's it stands the test of time too. I mean, it was it was a good film. Wow. Uh, we have thir- thirteen ghosts. We've already covered that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Supernatural. He was actually on that show uh, in the animated episode oh, with the crossover Scooby Doo. I did not know that Scooby. I did not know he was in Scooby Natural. Yep, he was playing the voice of uh, Shaggy in oh, that one. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, he was in without without a without a paddle with uh, Dax Shepard and uh, Seth Green, I believe it was. Uh, hackers, serial mom, and a very young and ghoulies go to college. Oh my god! <laughs> Which we might end up covering those at some point when we do creature films. Like those are some weird fucking movies. Uh, we have David Arquette playing Dewey Riley, uh, the local deputy, <laughs> and doofus Deputy uh, Deuce. or well, that's the yeah that's the character that they made fun or that that he would be named in the uh scary movie offshoot at least deputy doofy uh, i think are, yeah yeah doofy uh uh eight-legged freaks he was in that uh never been kissed with uh uh very more 
uh, Cougar Town, which he was the exec producer on, is uh, left then not wife, uh, Courtney Cox, who's our neck person in the film, uh, who plays Gail Wears, uh, who's cutthroat reporter. And uh, she's she's just known for the dancing in the video, folk like that Springsteen. Oh my God! Gets pulled up on stage. That's all she's ever done with her life. Uh, no, of course she's on Friends. Like everybody knows her character. So um, she's she's done more things other than that, obviously Cooktown. But like I, her main claim to fame, Friends, and probably will be. I mean, but I mean, it was such popular comedy. And she got so much money off of it, and it, I mean, so the late the late seasons really don't have to do much else. Uh, we have Ray Gowan playing Tatum Riley, um, Sydney's friend and Dewey's sister, and of course she was in the Charmed. Uh, I think she came on later season, replacing Shannon Doherty, and uh, in Planet Terror and Death Proof, and. Unfortunate, I mean, she's got a lot of problems with Hollywood. Like, she's one of the first people to come out against the Weinsteins, which is, you know, odd. It's kind of weird given the fact that this is very heavily influenced Weinstein film um, or series of films. But, like, yeah, she's one of those that first came out for uh, she got mad at, like, especially at Liz Milano. I don't know if you remember the whole oh, yeah. between the two of but, like, she said, she feels that a little. So under that, um, the, uh, the movement that whatever, she said that, that Alyssa Milano was more common than she was a victim. And there's been a whole, I mean, they can't see each other now. Reverend, I'm going to have to pause you for a minute because the internet's skipping real bad. Okay. I, I don't know if it's on my end. Now you sound perfect. <laughs> It was, you're talking and you sound like a robot, but it's not your audio. It's definitely the internet. So, okay. Yeah. It's still kind of. You need me to read anything or? No, I don't think so. Cause are you recording on your end? I am. Yeah. Okay. I might actually take your audio and fix the part that it's having an issue with. And of course edit this okay. out. Um, Hold on one second. Cause I need to, I need to grab. Noah, I think, because I think I need to plug in. I need a hardwire, which I should be doing anyways. Hold on. Okay. Uh... Oh, shit. I fucking almost spilled my coffee. Okay, uh, I don't know if it's, I have it in right. Uh, start talking. 
Hello, hello, hello. Okay, much better. I still don't know that I have my internet in right, but it seems to be working. So... Yeah, it's coming through better on my end, at least. Okay, yeah, I really don't think I did. Oh, wait, no, I don't think I did anything, but maybe it's just something that had to pass. I don't know. Anyways, okay, let's continue. Uh, we have Jamie Kennedy up next playing Randall Randy Meeks, the horror geek and uh, Sydney Simp and uh, the poor friend zone geek of the movie. Uh, of course, he's the Jamie Kennedy experiments, one of his bigger things. Um, he was actually on one episode of Lucifer, uh, oh, the, the oh, TV yeah. series. And um, he's uh, in a horror movie called Trick that came out a few years back. And then um, he's turned out to be a very based comedian, very uh, conservative-leaning comedian, which is uh, very interesting if you've heard any of his stuff. Hmm. Um, we have Drew Barrymore playing Casey Becker, the first ghost face victim, uh, who is terrible at horror <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Uh, she was in uh, Firestarter, the original at least. Uh, E.T., uh, Never Been Kissed, as previously mentioned. The 2000 Charlie's Angels. Uh, more recently, she was in Santa Clarita Diet with another Scream alum uh, from Part 2. And uh, she was in Donnie Darko, actually helped get that film off the ground because um, she believed in it so much. And she was in Scream 5 as an uncredited <laughs> voice. That's insane. Why would they uncredit that? Uh, they did that. There's a lot of people. When we get to that movie, there's a lot of like returning like people from the previous films that they did not like give credit to, but that were in that movie. Matthew Lillard was one of them, in fact. Oh, wow. Uh, Waxwork 2, Lost in Time, and then a movie called Doppelganger. Um, then we have Kevin Patrick Walls playing Stephen Orth, who's Casey's boyfriend. Uh, Arthur Hembry, who plays Henry Winkler, uh, the Fonz, pretty much. Um, they even kind of worked that into the movie. We'll get to that in the trivia. Oh, God. Uh, but he is the school principal. Um, uh, and then uh, we have uh, W. Earl Brown playing Kenny Brown in the movie, who's the <laughs> unappreciated cameraman. Yeah. Um. So, synopsis, a new killer dressed as Ghostface is going around the town of Woodsboro hacking and slashing their way through the local teens. Despite a semi-competent attempt by the local police to force uh, to, uh, to limit after-school activities, the teens find ways to be at the most remote, isolated locations they can in order to be Ghostface new victims. Uh, throats are cut, horror movie meta comments abound, and I'm getting woozy here. <laughs> Someone's taking their love of scary movies one step too far. Uh, before that's you, a, yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good one. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. Before you get into the body count, well, I guess it'll be the first. No, nah, not so much the first. Maybe the second. Can we discuss real quick how fucking insane it was that they killed a fucking A-list actress in the first fucking what ten minutes of the film? Yeah, the probably the most known actress in the entire movie gets killed in the first few minutes of the movie. Uh, I uh, loved it. You, you know what it is? I, it almost has like uh, Psycho. I mean, we, we keep throwing it back to that, but it almost has Psycho yeah. feel to it because uh, Janet, you know, Lee was 
one of the most well-known actresses of her time, especially given who else was in Psycho. And then uh, they kill her off within the first, you know, a uh, few minutes of the movie too. So maybe that's, you know, there was a little bit of that going on. I don't know if it's in trivia. I want to know what Drew Barrymore thought of that. Like, was she like, hell yeah. I don't think I ever saw that. I think that it, uh, there might be some things in there about why she agreed to do the movie, but I don't think there's anything that if I remember right, like why, what she thought about being killed off so early in the movie. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess what I'm getting at is when it happened, I was in such a state of disbelief that I was like, okay, well, she's clearly going to come back. Maybe she's the killer. It, created all these weird things in my head because I was like, there's no fucking way you're going to kill Drew Barrymore off that early in this film. And I have been proven so wrong by this franchise because they don't give a fuck. <laughs> well, it, it sets up, it, it kind of uh, knocks your feet out from under you as far as the expectation goes, because if they're going to kill an A-list or like that. They can kill anybody in the movie. There's nobody, yeah. you know, really, really, Going forward, I mean, we kind of get to the point where we're, we feel like uh, Sydney's protected. But, like, I mean, you know, anybody else is fair game at that point. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, in this movie, it's kind of got a lower size body count. It's uh, just seven in this film. We have uh, Stephen Orris, who's gutted by Stu Mocker. Casey Becker, who is stabbed a ton, gutted, and then hung from a tree by Billy Loomis. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Henry Winkler's character, Arthur Hembry, is stabbed, gutted, hung from a goal by Billy Loomis. Uh, Tatum Riley is, has her head crushed in a garage door by Billy Loomis. And uh. we'll get to the controversy about the fact that that garage door was able to do that. Don't worry. That, that is part of the trivia. Okay. At some point. It might be in a later movie, but it is in there. Uh, Kenny Brown, who has his throat slit by Stu Mocker. Uh, Stu Mocker himself, who is stabbed a bunch and gets his head crushed and electrocuted by TV by Sidney Prescott. But there's some debate on whether or not Stu actually died. That uh, Might as well discuss that now because I don't think it's any of the trivia. There is the hint that he might be in, in uh, Scream 6 because uh, yeah. of some of the uh, people's have heard his voice on like the trailer. Um, he is one of the few people they don't like actually shoot in the head to confirm that they're dead in the series. So... Stu, uh, it's up in the air whether or not he's actually out. Yeah. And then uh, Billy Loomis, who has stabbed a bunch and then shot in the head, which was a final death in this movie, a series of movies by Sidney Prescott. Um, the one non-counted death in the movie for this one is Maureen Prescott. Uh, she was stabbed multiple times by Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker, but that was prior to the events of the film, so yeah. it doesn't count. Quotes for this movie. Uh, Stu, did you really call the police? Sidney Prescott, you bet your sorry ass I did. And then Stu, Stu starting to cry. My mom and dad are going to be so mad at oh me. Oh, my God. Uh, Tatum, no, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stupid. Uh, that is very commonly uh, picked up on TikTok and used by a lot of people. That is, uh, that's a pretty, pretty big one, uh, her line. Uh, Ghostface, of course. What's your favorite scary movie? You know. <laughs> yes, of course. Or do you uh, like scary Sydney movies? Pres- yeah. Do you like scary movies? Uh, Sydney Prescott. Ah, uh, oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? 
Um, and then uh, Stu, ow, you fucking hit me with a phone, dick, which is my favorite <laughs> part in that movie. Like, because Billy, like, he, it looks like almost that uh, that Skeet wasn't even paying attention through the phone in the scene. It hits it yeah. hits Matthew Lillard, and he, and he reacts. It, it almost looks that way. It almost looks like it was improvised. Maybe. Um it, it might have been. There's no there, there's no record that it was, but it just feels that way, and it's it, it's just such a good scene. It, you, we talked earlier about like comedy and horror in these movies, and or you know like or in Cocaine Bear and how it's kind of you know like swinging back and forth. I feel like this movie does like comedy perfectly because it's little scenes like that. I mean, the guy's got blood all over him, but then he gets hit in the head with a phone, and that's what causes him to like freak out. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I love it. Uh, of course, Randy, there are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no-no. Big no-no. Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. And, of course, uh, you know, everybody, you know, booze or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or, or Well, they raised their bottles at that one. Uh, and then Randy says the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances i'll be right say i'll be right back because you won't be back and then Stu, of course says i'm getting another beer you want one and randy says yeah sure and Stu says i'll be right back and then you know walks out of the room um I, I, that that whole exchange back and forth is pretty good um, and then of course <laughs> he finishes it up by saying see you push the laws and you end up dead okay i'll see you in the kitchen with a knife is what he says yeah to, uh, Stu not realizing he's one of the killers at that point um Sydney Prescott, when Randy reveals that he's still alive, oh my God, Randy, I thought you were dead. And then Randy says, I probably should be. I never thought I'd be so happy to be a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> it is so true. Uh, um, and then, of course, Billy, uh, did we ever find out why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. See, it's a lot more scary uh, when there's no motive, Sid. When did your mom, we did your mom a favor, Sid. That woman was a slut bag whore who flashed her shit all over town like she was Sharon Stone or something. And then uh, Stu's like, yeah, we put her out of her misery because let's face it, Sidney, your mom was no Sharon Stone. <laughs> and then Billy responds back, is that motive enough for you? How, how about this? Your slut mother was fucking my father, and she's the reason my mom moved out and abandoned me. How's that for a motive? Maternal abandonment causes serious deviant behavior. It certainly fucked you up. It made you have sex with a psychopath. Uh, yeah, because she fucking knew he was a psychopath. Yeah, well. It's not fair. Now, if she had had sex with him willingly when he was a psychopath, yes, that would make her a little off. Yeah, it's it's a lot of projection on his behalf. Yeah, you know it's 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 a good back and I mean it's a good you know scene with him in it. Like I really like that scene with him going over his motive. Oh yeah, um, uh, I have an update on Drew Barrymore. Okay. Okay. In the horror film genre, this is her words. My biggest pet peeve was that I was all that I always knew the main character was going to be sludging it through to the end, but was going to creak by and make it. <clears throat> and she was, I guess this was when she was on Hot Ones. Um, she said, the actress considered her opening scene to be an opportunity to show that the rules need not apply. What I wanted to do was take that comfort zone away. She said, I asked if I could be Casey Becker so we could establish that this rule does not apply to this film. And it worked. Like I yeah. said, it, it really establishes. It's like, okay, if they're going to take her out, then anybody in this Anybody's game. Yes, 100%. And that's what I thought. I was like, there's there's no way. There's like, this, this, this isn't how it works. No, 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 no. She's like a mean person. <laughs> you know? I was fucked up. 
I, I don't blame you. It was, I don't really remember reacting that much to it back in the day, but like watching it now and then realizing it's like, you know, they really took out their biggest actress in the right. Oh the my first few God. Minutes. And it's like that. I guess it makes sense. I kind of noticed too, not every single movie poster, but a lot of the movie posters, the people that were dying in the beginning, Drew Barrymore was on the poster. She yeah, died. There's, a, <laughs> like, there's something in the trivia that except for like the last movie that came out or the last two that came out, like in the original trilogy, they never officially showed like the killer on uh, like, or something like that on, on the posters or there's something like that. It was like, it's in the trivia and we'll get to it, but they're, they're They were very selective in who they showed, at least in the original trilogy. Of the yeah. Movies. Well, in the trilogies they did. Cause I think Billy Loomis was in the, was on the poster, but like people that like Drew Barrymore did not need to be on the poster. She died in 12 minutes. You know, <laughs> but it was a good seller for the film. It was like, oh, Drew Barrymore is going to be in this movie. <laughs> Bitch, you thought. <laughs> Psych. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's what you get out of it. Um, Randy, of course, saying it's the millennium. Motives are incidental, you know. Uh, and then Gail, if I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. Do you know what that could do for my book sales? Oh my God, she's such a fucking <laughs> And the reason I cunt. chose that is because that line says more about her than yes. any other thing she ever says. Oh yes, 100%. <laughs> you halfway think that she's got a conscience that's like, no, she's all worried about like whether or not it's going to promote her career. Yeah. And of course, uh, Stu, which my favorite line in the entire series I can't, Billy. You already cut me too deep. I think I'm dying here, man. <laughs> um, all right, getting to the movie review. Uh, what do we think? Uh, let's start out with the visuals. I mean, the thing about this movie to or the series of movies to me is that um, I don't. I feel like for a lot of them, uh, this one included. Like, I mean, we get a lot of blood and that, and you know that there there and and a lot of visceral like stabs and stuff but we don't always get the the best score. Although this one had some like mm -hmm. with the uh, Casey Becker, like with her guts hanging yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, there was a few scenes like that, but it, but it's like, but it's mostly selling you on just the vicious attacks. Like how, you know, the, the ghost face actually takes the victims out more like he's uh instead of being like methodical, like, you know, Michael Myers, which, you know, there's a lot of comparison there between the two of them. Michael is more like, you know, he'll, you know, he, he'll cut you up, but, he won't really, he's not really like super brutal in a lot of the movies, whereas Ghostface is just like, you know, I mean, almost like a beast at times, almost like cocaine bear, like just mauling people, you know? Yeah. Um, visually, the kills, I mean, I guess what I can say about them is that they were effective because they had me jumping all in my seat. Um, I want to say something about the lighting in this film because I think the darkness in this film literally how dark it was and what you can and can't see and what's popping out of you is what made these kills effective. Mm -hmm. It's like a zombie that creeps up behind you. They're super slow. They're, you know, not super strong, but they still manage to fucking get you because of the scenery around you. Now for the kids out on the street that know this word, have you seen the BTS, the behind the scenes? Um, uh, I don't believe I have, no. Okay, I saw it many, many years ago. I forget how old I was. I don't think I even had kids yet. Um, and did you know that these, I guess most horror films are, but I was surprised to actually see it on the behind the scenes, is that these scenes are filmed during the day. 
That's interesting. I, there's a lot of like old horror movies mm-hmm. that they used to do that where they would film during the day and then like change the contrast and stuff. To my, and it, it never really looked like nighttime, mm-hmm. you know, because of the way they did it. But if they filmed a lot of this during, the, I mean, if you're talking about some of the night scenes were actually filmed that way, they did a damn good job because mm-hmm. like the night scenes in this looked good. I mean, yeah. they, they looked like night scenes. That's exactly what I'm saying because uh, I they show it being filmed in the day and then they showed the movie where it looks like it's night. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> like I would have never have known. It looks so good. Um, did you notice in this film, a lot of blue tones as well? Yes. There's okay. a lot of that. And there's, there's, uh, they, they've attributed to JJ Abrams now, but like there's that, uh, effect where you get the, uh, the, I forget what the actual word's called. When, when like, the police uh, especially pull up and they've got, like, the, the lights or whatever, you've got, like, the little, like, gleam across the screen or whatever, like, where it catches that, like, the, the little flash or whatever. You uh-huh. know, like, there's a, there was a lot of that in the movie, too, I saw. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to go on the record and say that it didn't bother me in this film. Because usually we get upset by that. We're like, oh, my God, this is so gloomy. Because I think there was appropriate times where it was nice, bright, sunny, and clear. And then there was times where it was just like, this is the time for it to be dark. And I think that's what worked really well. I think visually, uh, everything in this film was pretty captivating. I think they did a really good a really good job. Lens flare. I had to look it oh, up. Oh, yes, lens flare. Yeah, it's got a lot of, it's got lens flare in it uh, in quite a few places. It, it does, and it carries that, that carries through the, the fucking series, the franchise. It does. Um, I do, I mean, as far as like the, the, the look of the movie of it's, it's, it very much takes you back to the nineties. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a product of its time, which is not a bad thing. I actually yeah. enjoy the nostalgia of that quite a bit. Uh, but I feel like it holds up. I mean, like it's, you know, even if, I mean, cause the, you know, I don't know what you want to say about that, but like, I don't feel like styles have changed that, that much since hairstyles. Yes. Cause I mean, you can clearly see, which is kind of funny. Courtney Cox has a, like a Jennifer Aniston oh, yeah. in this movie almost, which is hilarious given the whole thing with friends. But, uh, a lot of the other like clothes and outfits could be, you know, they, anytime like they they don't i mean there's not uh, outside of a few select things i mean it's it, it it's kind of perennial in like how they've kind of set it up well we didn't have girls that dressed like the girls of clueless and like um rose mcgowan dressed in this film you know the kind of slutty but cute you know uh, a lot of short skirts or anything, high heels. We didn't have girls that did that in our high school. But as for the rest of the outfits, these were outfits. It definitely took me back to that timeline. Uh, it's not so much stuff I would wear today, you know, per se. But my younger self did wear those clothes. And I was like, holy shit, I remember the guys dressing like that. I remember these sweaters and these khakis. I remember these button-up plaid shirts that even girls would wear. Um <laughs> Short sleeved, of course, but um, I don't know the whole style. I was like, "Oh my god, this is definitely taking me back," you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, we can't go through it without discussing Ghostface costume. I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's iconic. It's, it's it's iconic now, but it was like a cheap, you know, like <laughs> uh, you know, spirit Halloween costume back in the day which makes it you know more interesting they, they almost went the uh, alice sweet alice route yes. that we 
kind of kind of covered where the killer can just get those clothes anywhere i mean mm-hmm. which is the scary part like that's what makes it you know like who is the killer because literally anybody can have these it's not like they're you know i mean any five and dime store you know will have it you know that sort of thing so yeah um can we along with visuals i want to talk about something that really gets me about this costume every time they remove the mask or pick up the mask are you mentally aware of the sound that it makes it's very dramatic I've never really paid any attention to it now that you said that. Like, uh, what what kind of sound is it? Like, there, this mask would not really make a sound. Maybe you would hear a light brush when you're pulling it off, but the sound it makes is like you're grabbing a leather bag that has maybe newspaper crumpled up inside of it or something. Uh, it's a very specific hmm. sound, and they do it over and over. And I'm going to jump just a tiny bit ahead, too, because they used almost the same sound, Maybe it was just an enhanced version of this in the second film. At the beginning, these kids are at the premiere of the movie. That's out. We'll get to that later. And they're handing everyone ghost face costumes. And when the actress grabs the bag, that's the sound that's made almost when they, every time this mask gets pulled off. Now the sound kind of goes away in the fourth film. I didn't notice it as dramatic, but I kind of noticed that at least in the first three films, I'm like, Holy crap. Every time they touch this mask, the noise is just so, I don't know. You're going to have to definitely like catch a couple scenes on YouTube or something to understand what I'm saying. I'm like, am I the only one who catches this bullshit? Now that's going to probably drive me nuts whenever I watch it and I hear that from here on out. Yes, so it it doesn't sound terrible. It's just a little dramatic is what I'm getting at. Uh, As far as the uh, acting, you know, or well, we'll go with the story first. As far as the story goes, I just find it funny when you go back and watch it and the fact that they, you know, like I I love the meta commentary. Like, I mean, this was made for horror geeks and you can tell because I mean, Mm -hmm. like all the comments, especially the scenes with Randy, but not even just Randy. You can tell that both Stu and Billy are horror fans too, because like when they're, especially the interaction between Stu and, and Randy in the video store, when they're going back and forth about who has the motive for, you know, like who would be the killer. Um, but it's almost funny because like you're watching that scene that's been parried, uh, parodied or whatever in yeah. the uh, scary movie where they're sitting along the outside of, in the school in that fancy ass school that they yeah. got, they're sitting in the courtyard and they're like all discussing back and forth, like, who, you know, what uh, about the killer. And there was that horrible joke that uh, Matthew Willard says about liver, liver alone or whatever <laughs> he says. Um, but in that interaction, like basically Stu and Billy almost, admit that they're doing it at the end yeah. of one particular scene like it's it's kind of hilarious when you go back and watch it it's like they're they're just telling you point blank uh i want to go back to the costume one more time just to say one thing i think it's fucking bullshit and i know inflation is a thing but because scream has made this costume what it is it went from being like a standard like 10 20 costume to now being like an 80 90 costume no, yeah, it's in the $90 range just because they can slap Scream on it now instead of saying it's just a ghost face, yeah. which is what it you know, originally was. Oh, 100%. And I like I was thinking, I was like, oh, I should dress as Ghostface this recent, well, this, yeah, recent Halloween, uh, do up the costume a little bit. And um, no, that was not a possibility. I wasn't willing to spend the money. And it's also hard to find, too. <laughs> 
it actually has another name. I, I don't know if I've got it in the trivia, but like the company that originally made it had it under a different name. But of course, once the movie came out, they changed it immediately to Ghostface just to, you know, cash in on it. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it went by something else back in the day. But uh, yeah, and one of the other thing about the costume that's always bugged me is that I'm pretty sure that the robe on that is it catches on shit real oh, bad. Oh, yes. And I, <laughs> And I know they always make fun of Ghostface being like super um, clumsy in the movies. Yes. I mean, that like anybody on TikTok that you know has Ghostface has him tripping over his feet all the time. But I don't know how they even function it as well as they do because I mean, honestly, that that outfit just—I mean, you'd be having people yank yank you back with like the the back of the gown and everything else. It's it's a pretty shitty costume. Yeah, and it would rip super easy. Like it, the material is yes. flimsy as fuck. Uh, I do want to now that you've brought that up. I do want to talk about how much I love Ghostface face being clumsy because I think it's realistic. Oh, yeah, and the fact that there's, I mean, the, that Ghostface gets his ass handed to him, whoever, yeah. the, or her, depending upon who's in the suit, constantly, I mean, throughout the series, it, it's it's because it's a regular-ass person yeah. that's vision is impaired, mm-hmm. uh, they're in this, uh, you know, clumsy-ass outfit. They probably I mean, can't it, breathe. It, yeah, and it, it makes sense that they, I mean, because somebody who doesn't have that shit on should have the advantage on them, other than the fact that they don't have the knife in their hand. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love it. Every time I see fucking them fucking eat it hard, I'm like, oh, fucking asshole. <laughs> uh, the acting in this movie. Um, well, I don't know. What, what did you think about the story? I mean, like, I didn't. I don't think you ever commented. You went no, back I to didn't. the. Yeah, the costume. Um, I didn't want to get off of what, that. What do you think about what, what do you think about the story of it? Like, I think that the story of the original Scream movie cannot be beat. And I'll tell you why. Because. You can only do meta so many. Well, I guess for a trilogy, you could do meta for the three. So I'll 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 leave that there, and we'll discuss further as we get along. But um, the one thing I'm going to rebut on that is that I agree with you, but I feel like there are interesting twists that some of the later sequels came out with that put some of the shit in the in the original trilogy to shame after the first. Like the first one is it's on own level as far as the meta and all that. And we talked about how actually, you know, on the Friday the 13th podcast that Kevin Williamson was actually inspired by, you know, for the Netta com- meta, you know, storyline by Friday the 13th part six because of the meta commentary that's in that movie. Yeah. But um, I, I feel like the, even though part one did it the best, it's the later sequels that do the twist on the the meta commentary that I find more, more interesting than maybe some of the sequels that came immediately after. And those particular series are definitely going to need that because that's what, how it should be. You should learn. You shouldn't just be repeating and you don't always have to follow the fucking rules. But I think that this first initial set the basis of if you do this, there's a chance you can survive. If you follow these basic, simple rules of how it normally is, you may be able to get out of this alive. I like that that was an option. Uh, and I think that the initial motives in this film, which I know we're going to discuss, were pretty cool i mean a a decent enough people you're gonna be psycho you'll use anything as a motive let's be honest you know um so there's that and i think that it really opened up it really opened up to uh, a a new story not story but like explanation for people who didn't understand horror and how horror works 
And it didn't ruin horror in the process because you could tell a story like this and fucking ruin horror for everyone. You know? Um, a few comments about that. First of all, it, it actually did the complete opposite. As we know, it revitalized the slasher genre to the point that there was, so, I mean, we, we covered Valentine, which was one of the, you know, knock on, uh, type movies that came right after this. Yeah. Um, which is funny because Marley Shelton's, you know, went on from that to actually being in scream. But, um, it, it, it not only uh, reinvented the horror genre, but I almost feel like it set the rule or the slasher genre. It almost like set the rules in stone because like people had kind of felt that way about the slasher genre for years. And this movie just, uh, I mean, from Wes Craven himself, you know, horror yeah. master just outright came and said, okay, these are the rules of a slasher. Like, and yeah. set them like almost like in a, you know, it's almost like the tablet on, you know, the mountain or whatever. Yeah, like, 10 commandments. <laughs> Yeah, it's like these are the you know how a slasher. Now you can change that up if you want to be you know and, and play around with the rules a little bit. But these are the rules for a slasher. Yeah. These are what we go by. Yeah. So there's so much respect I have for that. And then again, at the same time, they set rules. But then you have Drew Barrymore that's like, here's where rules don't have to apply. I'm a <laughs> fuck you up with some truth here. So I thought that. Overall, like the excitement of the film, I never, I never lost any love for this film. Like it was, I mean, oh, it's it's perennial for me. It's like it, I, I, the original Scream, I, I, I love. Like it's it's up there with any other horror film that I mean, I, I will. It, I don't. I mean, I don't really care that like it's been done to death at this point, or like variations, like you were talking about, like you know the the whole meta commentary. Yeah, you go back to the original; they did such a good job with how they did it that like they're it deserves to be listed amongst all the greats. Yes, and it's it's a perfect. If we could say this, because you know the meta part is cool. Obviously, we loved it in this film, um, but we could say it was a good introduction. We don't have to be like, it's the only one. No, it's a good introduction to how meta can be used in films. Um, don't beat a dead horse. So, <laughs> I think one other way that it succeeds and it does this with such great effect is that Kevin Williamson came at it from the point of view that he was tired of slashers, just throwing generic people into the movie that get, you know, ground through the mill and like for you to, I mean, cause his whole, his whole, I mean, he had actually planned on having a sequel even from when this one first came out. Yeah. And his, and so his idea was instead of, you know, because he knew that he was going to have the killers rotate out, make the characters, people you care about and invested in. And I think that's what the movie succeeds on because you, even though you hate her, I mean, Gail, uh, is, you know, like you, you grow to respect, like, you know, how she goes about things. Uh, Dewey is just this lovable goof that you feel, you know, like you want him to survive. Yeah. And of course, and then Sydney is the, is like the final girl. That's like, even though she broke the rule about, you know, being a virgin and all that, like, I mean, she's, you know, she is one of the strongest final girls that's ever been put to film. Like, I mean, psychologically, uh, you know, she's, you know, the way that she stands up for herself physically against, I mean, of course, she's got the weakest killer in theory, or slasher in theory, but still, like, she's, you know, there you root for her. Like, yeah. I mean, there, people are, are pissed off right now that she's that Nev Campbell is not going to be in Scream Six. And I mean, that, you know, that goes to show you how much that she sold that character. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's here's the thing, too, about her particular character, specifically in the first film, is that 
you can't be mad at the fact that a rule was set in place specifically about virgins, but that she managed to survive because how many of us in high school would not have fucking survived? Like, I mean, you can't kill every fucking non-virgin out there. And then you're going to leave all the boring people on planet. Come on now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I kind of like the excuse for why they quote unquote killed the virgin in part two uh, that, that comes up later, but we'll get to that whenever we discuss that film. Yeah. Um, now kind of going into the acting uh, as we move from the story, because there's also the actors that brought the story to life. I think that every actor brought their Maybe not to the fullest extent, but they brought their story. They did their job to bring their story, make it believable. I think that they made it look enthusiastic, like they like not so much in a happy way because this is a scary film. But like Jamie Kennedy, for instance, stands out as the person who the nerd of the movies and his passion for it. Uh, same thing with Stu, his passion for how fucking weird he is too. You know, and everything um, specifically. I think that Skeet's character as Billy really brought the psycho and the the pain and the torment in his own fucking mind. And became a a perpetual thirst trap for Mm -hmm. girls that are into that sort of thing. I swear to God. Like, I mean, he is the, like, they go back and he, I mean, he's a major thirst trap for a lot of women. Oh, my God. He really is. I I mean, I've seen it, like, amongst the horror fans. Like, they God. always mention Billy. You know? Oh, dear God. Uh, I think Nev Campbell plays a really good, uh, well, obviously, final girl. She's still alive, you know? But um, I think she plays a really, like, a strong character in the sense that she gets fucked up. And she doesn't get fucked up without repercussions. Because there's a film where she has to discuss hey, are, am I going to be okay And for someone who's going through the kind of the same thing? And she has to be honest and be like, it's going to take some fucking time. You're going to yeah. fucking go through some shit. That's, that's the one good thing about having a final girl that lives mm-hmm. continuously with the movies that, you know, we've discussed before due to contractual things or, you know, them not want to be typecast that we've kind of missed out on and like, you know, the Friday films or, you know, any of the ones after that is that you don't get to see the psychological damage that the killer mm-hmm. does. And, and, I mean, not meaning in a glorifying way, it's like, I mean, that's something that I, I'm sure that an actor or actress would really like to delve into because, it. I mean, it gives you a lot of ground to work off of. It gives, you know, it's an interesting concept. And, I mean, in this series, one of the few to be able to do it because they, they keep the final girl around and they allow her to work. I mean, you get to see that play out. You yeah. Know? Um, now, even Rose McGowan, um, her character is just your typical, your typical hoe, kind of, you know. Um, she's just kind of dressed a little promiscuous. I can't really say she was a hoe. But um, she, I think that even, maybe not fullest to her extent, she did get, I guess she got killed off maybe midway, not super early. Not too late either. Uh, it was in the it was in the final act. Whenever she she got through a lot of the movie. Okay, but so she, she was did. also the bestie to the yeah to the uh, final girl, and those typically stay around until the last. You know. Yeah, I guess act in the movie. I guess I didn't realize that. Of course, we have seen quite a sludge of these fucking movies, so <laughs> it's hard for them not to mix up together after a minute. But I think even she did a, an appropriate job of. You know, this is my character bringing it to the screen, and usually the sluts aren't that important. 
no. Here's the thing that I that that amazes me about the movie. Um, a lot of the actors get by with charisma in this movie alone. Like, I mean, not to say that their acting's bad, but like just they're, they're like they bring just the like Matthew Lillard's character. Stu on paper, and I mean, is not that interesting, really. I mm-hmm. mean, but the way Matthew Lillard portrayed him and his own personal charisma made that character what it is. Yeah, like, that's why he stands out. Uh, David Arquette is the worst actor in the movie. If you go back and watch it, like his acting is terrible, but mm-hmm. he is so lovable yes. as, as Dewey that it, you, you, you know, you kind of forgive him. It's like, okay, yeah, you're acting. And the funny thing is, is like you can see the improvement because I just watched, I mean, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but I watched Scream 5 his acting is great in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually good in that one. But yes. like you go back and watch the original movie and it's, like, it's bad. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> I can understand why they don't have you on screen too much. But I mean, but he's lovable enough to where he sells it. And that's what I, that, that, that's what amazes me that they got. And I mean, even Jamie Kennedy's character, like that, that character played by anybody else who didn't have the charisma to sell that character or the, the, the jokey nature of the character I don't think it would have worked as well, but he sold it. And I mean, you know, and even if you see the guy now, I mean, just as a comedian, he's still got that personality about him. Like he can, you know, he he brings that sort of thing out. So, yeah. Oh my God. um, Music. I mean, it's a throwback to the the nineties for sure. When it comes to music, I mean, and of course it introduces to, you know, well, I mean, I think it might've been other movies, but this is the movie that the, you know, the red right hand like that iconic song yes i I love it (laughs) and then uh that uh there's certain uh musical beats i mean besides that i mean that one's a big one because it plays in a lot of scenes even if it's just like bits and parts of it are playing throughout the movie of the red right hand but like dewey's theme like that i don't know if it gets introduced in this one or the second one but there's almost that like western vibe when dewey walks on the screen it's almost like they give like and then uh and then um Sydney has her own theme. Like they, I like how they work that in to sell the characters even more as you go along the series. Like it's, you know, they each have their own, you know, um, their own theme music whenever they're introduced. It's very nineties. <laughs> For sure. The, the music is a hundred percent, you know, that way. And then, I mean, it, it really, and they even make a comment about in scream five, you know, about how nineties it is. Oh yeah. So, um, anything else you want to say about the movie before we get on the trivia on this one? Um, after trivia, are we going to give like final thoughts on the film? Or uh, we, are we are giving awards after every film, so we after will get film. to discuss. Perfect. Yes. Then I will wait for that. Let's get into okay. some trivia. Uh, so the party scene near the end of the film runs 42 minutes long. It was shot over the course of 21 <gasps> days. Jesus. From the time that the sun set to the time it rose, after it wrapped, the crew had T-shirts made that said that read "I Survived Scene 118," <laughs> which was the name of the scene during the shooting. The cast and crew jokingly called it the longest night in horror history. Holy shit! And then you don't think about it, but most of this movie is that last party. Like most of the movie, like I was uh, when I, when I read this, I was like thinking back on. It, I'm like, yeah, you've got the initial Casey Becker kill. You've got the stuff at the school that happens for like you know like a hot minute, and then it's all you know, and, and then the party at the end of it is the bulk of the movie. Like, or at least it feels like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, at around 12 minutes at the beginning of the movie, when Casey's or Drew Barrymore's parents come home to find something is wrong, her father tells her to go to the McKenzie's, which is the same thing Laurie Strode from you know 
Halloween told Lindsay uh, and Tommy to do in Halloween 1978. Oh which, my God. Uh, which, uh, which this movie contains many references. Of course, Billy's last name being one of them because, you know, Dr. Loomis, Billy Loomis. So, Oh, I didn't even think. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> uh, Matthew Lillard, Lillard was cast as Stu Mocker by chance. This goes on his personality. Just listen to this. After accompanying his then girlfriend to an unrelated audition taking place somewhere else in the building. Um, so he was actually with his girlfriend. She was going to an audition. He just happened to be in the same building. Uh, the casting director, Lisa Beach, saw Lillard in the hallway and asked him to audition for the part, and he got into the role with incredible ferocity to the wow. point that they was like, okay, you you, you get it. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> so he, he walked in just to accompany his girlfriend to an audition that she was doing. Somebody saw him was like, you want to try out for this movie? He's like, sure. And then he was so good at it, they were like, all right, you're in the movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Drew Barrymore shot all of her scenes in the first five days of production. Five days <laughs> yep. for the for 15 minutes of fame. Yep. Um, it, it, it's crazy how the time difference between uh, like, yeah. what it takes. And in some movies we've covered, don't even have like that much filming time. Like we, Alice, Sweet Alice, going back to that, I think the entire runtime was like 20 to 30 some days for that entire movie. So... You know, it's funny because it's like 15 minutes in Scream Universe is like, you know, dog years, obviously. 15 minutes is five days. <laughs> or uh, an overnight in, in the movie, you know, takes like 21 days to film. Good God. And at least, at least we know in that film they actually did that at night. Yeah. Versus what I was telling you about how a lot of the scenes were shot during the day and then they just changed it tonight. Yeah, uh, Jamie Kennedy was chosen for the role of Randy because he would often improvise humor into his lines, which made director Wes Craven <laughs> laugh. What a fucking talent. Like, what a fucking, you're able to be like, yeah, dude, I made Wes Craven laugh. <laughs> oh, I've got some trivia for part two when we get to that where, I mean, like, his, he doesn't even, rem I mean, there's a scene in particular where he improvised to the point that he didn't even realize he did it until after he watched the movie. Oh, my God. Uh, Courtney Cox approached the production to pursue the role. She was interested in playing a bitch character to offset her nice friend's image. Uh, this image was the main reason why the producers initially refused to cast her for the part, but she continued to lobby the studio as she felt that uh, she could unbelievably play the character and her efforts ultimately succeeded. I would say she did an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, you really hate Gail at certain points in the first movie mm -hmm. and even, like, well, later movies, uh, part three in particular, because, I mean, at least she's hot in this movie. Part three, those bangs, we'll get to them. Uh, anyways, the high school scenes were to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. However, very close to the uh, to the shooting date, the school board read the script and denied the film to be shot there due to the violent nature, Boo. as they had been under the impression that the film was a comedy. Oh, okay. And then they moved the production to Hillsburg, California. As payback, director Wes Craven put in the end credits under the special thanks section, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Santa Rosa is a very fucking nose up community. They are, uh, they swear that they're better than everyone. Uh, they're not. They're just like any other fucking city out here in California, you know. Uh, I don't know. They're not fancy in any way, shape, or form, but they swear their shit does not stink. And their shit does stink because they live there. It's Sonoma County. And Sonoma County is known for the Sonoma aroma, which is basically oh my cow gosh. shit. So, <laughs> your shit dusting. You, th 
you'd think that turning their nose up would catch that shit smell more often. Yeah, but. I think it would. I, maybe they're just used to smelling shit, and they don't know a good thing when they see it. <laughs> uh, at around 52 minutes, when Henry Winkler opens the closet, his black leather Fonzie jacket from Happy Days is hanging oh, yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, he saw that. And then right before this, whenever he uh, turns and scares himself in the mirror, uh, it's uh, he's fixing his hair like he did uh, back in yes. Happy Days. Yeah, I totally caught that. Uh, the use of color ID increased more than threefold after the release of this film. <laughs> uh, Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell did not meet Roger Jackson, the actor who played the voice, um, and he still does play the voice, uh, which if the guy ever passes away, I guess now they could probably do it through AI. But anyways, mm-hmm. uh, before shooting commenced, whenever they were talking on the phone to the killer, they were actually talking to him. In fact, none of the cast met him. Craven thought that'd be better to bring out the shock reactions that they needed from everyone when they heard that voice. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, we talked about it in uh, in uh, Black Christmas. How what they recorded on, you know, and what they played later were two different things. Apparently, they were the same here, but they just never let the guy be, you know, known to the people, so it would like freak them out more. Yeah. Uh, the producers had originally intended to use Roger Jackson's voice only as a placeholder, dubbing over it during post-production, but they decided to keep it uh, because they thought it was perfect. Uh, Craven described it as an as intelligent and evil voice that would become an, an irreplaceable to the franchise, and he's right because everybody knows that voice now, like it fits. Um, during production, Ghostface's signature black robe was going to be white. <laughs> <laughs> to make him appear more like a ghost, this Woo! was changed for obvious reasons because they didn't want the ghost face to seem like the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, my so. God. I mean, can you imagine all the blood on the costume, too? Yeah, that would have really... It, and the black blends in better. It makes more sense from a killer's standpoint, too, because it, uh, there's many scenes, like you talked about, where they're darker, and go, and the only thing you can see for Ghostface is the mask. Yeah. So, I mean, the black blends in and helps hide better, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, the film was released in December, five days before Christmas. The studio did this because during the holiday season, family-friendly movies are usually released, and the studio wanted to give the horror audience something to see during Aww. a time when no other horror movies would be out. That's so sweet. Yeah, so nice of them. Uh, it opened at uh, number four with $6.4 million, which led the studio to believe that the film had flopped. However... The film's good word of mouth is what led to its success at the box office with every week uh, going, it went up or stayed at the same place in the box office. And by the end of its run, it was, like we said, up to over $100 million. So this was more like one of those slow builds or whatever that actually gained fame, is, which the original Halloween was the same way. It's funny that this movie takes a lot of inspiration from Halloween and the release kind of came out the same way, whereas people initially didn't, you know, go to see it. And then once more word of mouth got out, they're like, I've got to see that fucking movie. That sounds awesome. You know? Probably what's going to happen with Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I, I think it will. I think yeah. that movie will. Uh, a lot of people comment how fun it was and then they'll go see it because of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, originally titled Scary Movie, <laughs> funny enough, uh, which was later used for the parody of the movie <laughs> and other uh, pop culture films in the Scary Movie franchise. Uh, the term Scary Movie is mentioned five times. That's why they were going to call it that, you know, because of Ghostface. Would you like to see a scary movie? You know, that whole thing. Uh, Rose McGowan still has her Scary Movie wine bottle with the wine still in it that the cast and crew received the rap party. So they was even calling it Scary Movie whenever the movie wrapped, and they only changed it right before it came out in theaters. That's so, so funny. Okay, wait a second, though. Um, in terms of the title of the film, well, Scream and Scary Movie, could you see the names or the titles flopped and it working? 
So scary movie um, being for the scary films and Scream being for the parodies. No, I don't. It wouldn't work for the comedy versions, at least, because I don't see those. I mean, with saying Scream for those, I don't think that that would have worked for. I mean, scary movie, just it's so generic that yes. it would fit for those movies. Yes, I mean, just like they had like not another teen movie, things like that, and it was a generic type film. Yeah, okay. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? I just don't. I mean, I think that they that it would have hurt the scary movie franchise more than it would have hurt. Scream. Yeah, I think because you're right. I mean, I could see Scream working for the parody films only because it's a parody film and you just kind of give it some random name, you know, like ah, Scream. But I don't see scary movie working for the actual Scream franchise because it's like scary movie. Fucking what the fuck is this bullshit? You know? <laughs> yeah. And if you believe in a uh, parallel universe, is there some parallel universe out there that, you know, these movies came out of scary movie and, and maybe only did like one or two and then like went down the tube. Yeah, that. exactly. That's probably what have happened with scary movie. Uh, Wes Craven had uh, seen Nev Campbell in party of five and asked her to audition for the part. He believed she would portray a character who was innocent but who would also realistically handle herself while dealing with the physical conflict and emotions required by the role. Uh, he and, was 100% right. Yeah, he he could gauge his actresses because that worked. Yeah. Uh, there was a five-page treatment for Scream 2 at the end of the screenplay written by Kevin Williamson. So he already had Scream 2 worked up mm-hmm. at the very end of this one before he even turned the screenplay over. It was written into a full-blown script after the movie became a hit at the box office, and that's the reason they're just a year apart because they were already oh, ready yeah. to go. That's awesome. Uh, Rose McGowan dyed her hair blonde for the role of Tatum in order to uh, contrast her naturally brown hair from that of Nev Campbell, which was kind of nice of her not to, I mean, so they wouldn't like blend in together. I didn't like it. I did not Uh, like her blonde hair. I know why she did it. Um, I don't know. It didn't look good on her. I'll say this, but that shows that she was a team player because that made her look worse. Yeah, it did. Um, I, yeah, she, I guess she could have done a red hair. Uh, possibly, but I mean like her natural brunette hair or like the darker color that she had, like in uh, like planet terror, especially. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Smoking hot. Smoking. Definitely. She's definitely a brunette. Um, but yeah, good, good on her though. I think that was a good idea. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It uh, definitely being, gave that blonde bimbo vibe. <laughs> uh, being a favorite of screenwriters Kevin Williamson, Molly Ringwald was uh, offered the role of Sidney Prescott. Oh, no. But, uh, but turned it down saying she'd rather not be playing a high school student at the age of 27. Um, I don't think. I don't think Molly Ring. I can't. There's some parallel universe where Molly Ringwald was in a movie called Scary Movie that that came out, and it didn't. It flopped because I can't see her playing that character. I can't. Yeah, I can't either. And <laughs> Molly Ringwald kind of always had a mature looking face, so I can't imagine she did. At 27. Like she seems. She seemed. She got by. I mean, she was young, and that's what helped her in all the original John Hughes movies because she actually was a teenager then. Yeah. But even then, she almost looked like she was college age. Yeah, she looked like she was a young woman, not a young lady. Um. Yeah. And and whenever I heard this, I'm like, 1996, Molly Ring. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was thinking, (laughs) no, she's in her 40s. No, she wasn't actually. Okay. Uh, Wes Craven initially turned down the film. He was already busy developing a remake of The Haunting, uh, 1963, and was considering distancing him, himself from the horror genre. Uh, he signed on to direct after Drew Barrymore agreed to be wow. in the film. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Also, 
Also, he was confronted by a young little boy fan uh, who was uh, about uh, 10. The boy accused Craven of going soft <laughs> and that he had more guts back in the day when he was making movies like Last House on the Left. This pushed him over the edge, and he called the people at Miramax, uh, Miramax and agreed to do Scream. So look, between Drew Barrymore and some little kid basically saying, you're a pussy, that's what got West Craven to make the movie. But the little fucking 10-year-old just fucking called him out on his bullshit. What, here's my thing, though. Who the fuck let this little kid watch the original Last House on the Left? That movie is rough. Like, fuck. I mean. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Geez. I mean, I, you know, and I haven't seen Last House on the Left, but let me tell you what, neither have my kids. And I let my kids watch a lot of stuff. So it's uh, let's just put it this way. Uh, Wes Craven, his early films were all about women uh, being you know, yeah. molested uh, is the, the nicest way to say it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know who let, I, I would never let a kid watch that movie. Like, I mean, it, I watched it as a teenager and it got to me. So, I mean, I mean, uh, I don't even think I watched the original. I think I watched the remake, you know, like whenever I was in my late teens, early twenties and it still bothered me. So as, as a mediocre horror fan, because I'm not as big as a horror fan as you, and my husband is just a movie fan in general. I wouldn't classify horror as his main genre. But as, you know, a mediocre horror fan raising actual horror fans, I even have my limits. So I know that there's horror fans out there that go the full extreme with their kids, and they just let them go willy-nilly on horror films, and you have to be careful because horror films be getting wild. Um. I don't know if you've seen this on TikTok. This is a tangent, but it plays into Nicolas Cage, which is our you know <laughs> patron saint on this podcast. Uh, there's been the scenes between him and Pedro Pascal from yes. you know the, uh, from the new movie they came out with, where he's playing himself in it. And the the scene and what they've done in this one that I just saw earlier today was there. It's got the two of them in a movie theater, and then uh, Nicolas Cage is looking over and he's got that like dog look on his face, like you got to be fucking kidding me, dude. Mm -hmm. And it says uh, my friend who's uh, who, who have invited to the movie theater and then it goes over to pedro pascal yeah. and it's like he's got that you know shit eating grin on his face and it's like me uh, uh traumatized by all the horror uh, movies that i've watched ready to fuck my friend up mentally or something <laughs> like that yeah and i just thought i thought it was hilarious candy won't <laughs> stop sending me those i'm like fucking stop <laughs> <laughs> um the special effects artist used 50 gallons of blood in this movie. Real uh, blood? Uh, well, no, it wasn't real. But, I mean, you know, the the, the Hollywood blood. Yes. Is the, you know. Jesus Christ, uh, 50 gallons? Holy bloodbath. Yeah, I told you, this first movie, I mean, that first Scream's got a lot of blood throughout the movie. That's one of the things that sells it. I mean, even if they don't, like the thing about the movie that, that gets to me about scream when you, uh, when you watch past the first one, because the first one's got the characters that keep you for the movie. When you start getting in some of the later movies, I mean, I almost get the feeling like I did with the original slashers, you know, Freddie, you know, Jason, you know, Michael, that I want to see inventive kills, you know? And then unfortunately a lot of the kills in scream are just stabs. I mean, yeah. which, you know, funny enough, that's what they call the, yes, the, the movie. movie, but you know, <laughs> But, I mean, that's what it is. And so, like, the, the only way that they can really, you know, amp that up is to just have the blood everywhere. And they, and they, they did. They, yeah. They had it. They did not um, disappoint. The, the film was sent to the MPAA over nine times for reconsideration as they were going to slap the movie with an NC-17 rating. Uh, each time the, the MPA made uh, Wes Craven cut out more of the film's gory, heavy shots, uh, uh, Bob Weinstein eventually had to step in, which secured the film's R rating. And this is how he got it by. This is, 
this is intelligent. I mean, of course, he, that's Harvey. That's the, the one, quote unquote bad one. But mm-hmm. anyways, Bob uh, basically um, went to the MPAA and told them that it was a comedy and not a horror film. <gasps> and whenever he told them that, they looked at it and they said, okay, that's cool. Fucking idiots. That just goes to show you they don't actually look at, they don't yeah, actually they don't, physically pay attention. They don't give two shits about the content of the movie. It's, it's all stupid little games. Oh my god. So what happens afterwards? Do the MPA get mad? Do they find them? What's uh, there's enough comedy in it. I don't know that they can argue. I mean, it oh. technically is a horror comedy and when yeah. you get right down to it. That is true. Oh my god. So oh my god. That still doesn't that makes it worse because that means horror comedy you can actually technically take the family to see it. Which you can technically take the family to see this. Um depending on what type of horror fan you are. Um Yeah. Uh, okay, but question, NC-17, isn't, is that a rating that people just try to avoid? Because I feel like that would make a lot of people want to see it. It would make a lot of people want to see it, but the thing is, is that it it is so severely limits the amount of people who can actually get into the theater that it's like a death nail for the movie. That's true. You know, as far as like it's uh, box office intake, I mean, because... People, I mean, you know, like adults are the only ones allowed in there. And I don't even think you can take a kid, you know, with R, you can take them with supervision, you know, of course. But I think they have to turn anybody who's not 18 away at that point. Yeah, that's what I'm, well. Or, well, you know, at least 17. 17. Like, how do you prove that? Because not every 17-year-old has an ID. They, if they don't show the ID, they can't get in. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, it, it severely limits who can get in there. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, when Bob Weinstein watched parts of the uh, first scenes filmed, Rough Cuts, he said that the mask used was idiotic. Uh, he asked <laughs> the producers to film one scene with seven different masks and let, uh, let him choose the one he liked the most. The producers didn't agree and threatened to shut down the production. They told him to wait until the first sequence, Drew Barrymore's, was completed, and then he could decide. After watching it, he happily agreed to the mask used and didn't make another complaint for the rest of the filming. Yeah, shut your face. <laughs> but he did step in and get them the rating they needed, so he did that. Okay. Uh, Nev Campbell is originally going to say no to the film as she is especially afraid of horror movies. Uh, but when hearing her co-star Skeet Ulrich, uh, Ulrich from The Craft was going to appear, she agreed. How? Oh, she was <laughs> thinking. She was thinking of that uh, hot and heavy scene with him. Um, she she was. I mean, she's very very hot in the craft. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. whenever they do that, like, scene later on, and like, she has her like little spa moment or whatever at the the dermatologist, wherever it is. Oh but, yeah. Uh, and of course, wild things. I mean, but that's a whole other argument. Uh, <laughs> Nev Nev turned down all the horror scripts she received after this because she didn't want to be typecast as a scream queen. Boo! How many times has this fucking happened? Like it. I mean, who? There are certain, I mean, you get like Linnea Quigley, you know, women who realize that, you know, the genre is not, I mean, can actually benefit them because of the longevity and the, and the love of the fans. I don't know why more actresses don't like, I mean, I know they don't want to continue, but like, there's so many that have been scream queens that's went on like Jamie Lee Curtis, for instance, who's went back and forth and, and had like quality movies both ways. Like, I don't see why that's, I mean, I, it used to be a thing where it would, you know, send them down that path and they would never come back. But I don't understand that now, like why they do that. Here's the thing. I hate to point out the fucking obvious, the elephant in the room, but you are literally, Neff Campbell is literally 
the queen of scream, as in the scream franchise, like, like nobody, and you have to be living under a rock to not know what it is. And, and she's one, and she's one of the most famous final girls. Like yes. she will I mean like whatever she wants to say, like Sydney Prescott is up for Laurie Strode. Like, I mean, you know, they're, they're cemented. Now. Like, I mean, I don't know. I just don't understand that mentality. But yeah. Whatever. So, I mean, it, she doesn't want to be in them unless she doesn't like, uh, that's one thing, but I mean, you know, whatever it just, uh, you know, not wanting to be typecast. I mean, what is she, I mean, she's not really known for a whole lot else. Mm-hmm. I mean, even craft, the craft is a horror movie. I yes. mean, you know, so, it, she might call it like a teen drama or something, but it's a horror movie. I mean, I could 100, 100% respect her wanting to limit the horror films or maybe be picky about which ones she chooses to be in. Of course, yeah. You know, but she deserves that like because... Like Joy, that sort of thing. Yes. You know? she, is, she is horror franchise royalty now, so I don't know. I just don't think you should try to fight it is what I'm getting at. And not only that, I want to bring up something real quick, too, because she's not going to be in the, in the sixth film. Great. But she was in the fifth film. Can we talk about how gorgeous this girl has gracefully aged? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it's and it stands out even more uh, against uh, Courtney Cox. Cause, I mean, oh yes, that's Courtney exactly. Cox, yeah. Uh, I mean, side by side. I mean, like oh, uh, Nev Campbell is. I mean, she's aged gracefully. Like, I mean, she's a beautiful woman. You know, even now. Yeah, Noah basically said she just owned it. Like she's basically just owned. You know, the aging, she's not trying to get all this work done. Maybe she, I don't know if she's had a thing done here. If she has, you cannot fucking tell. Uh, she, she's she looks done amazing. it right. Yes, if she's done anything. Yeah, she's not like Madonna where you look at it and it's like, that looks like a fucking, uh, you know, uh, one of the, you know, one of Pinhead's, you know, from Hell Ray, like, like now due to all her work like nev campbell is you know it, it, it's so good if she's had any it's so good you can't tell yeah so anyways back back to the <laughs> to the trivia uh the filming of this movie is rose mcgowan's favorite filming experience of her career i bet it looked fun yeah i i, I feel like they were having fun on set like the entire time they were making this they had they had good people all around yeah i mean i you know uh on the directors in 1997, uh, or, uh, um, or well, I guess that shows from then, but in 2007, David Arquette revealed that he presumptuously turned down the role of Billy in favor of playing Dewey, which he originally, uh, which was originally written as a hunky leading man part. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's hilarious because, like, I don't know if he if he picked Dewey thinking it was the hunky leading. What about him was hunky? I mean, like he. I don't think he's ever been that look like he he's aged very well too. Yes. like watching scream five. He like the gray and, and like the lines in his face actually make him look better. I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, he has, he's always kind of had a baby face too. So I think that's where also in the hunky part, he has moments in certain movies where he's cute, but it's not hunky cute. It's more like, I don't know how to explain it. Like handsome, but not, not Skeet Ulrich smoking hot, you know? Yeah, not not thirst strap, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Billy Loomis, you know, kind of looks. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be like, okay, two completely different examples of characters in general, but, like, we were talking about 
1990s or 2000s, Jenna Jameson, sultry, smoking hot, and Drew Barrymore, who's gorgeous, but she's got more of a baby face. She's more of a cute virginal type, you know? And Yeah, and, and something about Drew Barrymore that's always kind of led that too is that she kind of has – there's something about the way she speaks. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. It's almost like a, a little bit of a mumble to her yes. voice, mm-hmm. and, and it adds to the, the baby nature yes. of it. You know, it's not like a sultry – like what – despite Courtney Cox, like, you know, the way that she's aged, like her voice has got like this natural sultriness about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but Drew Barrymore has never had that. At yeah. All. For, for, yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, that that's probably a good explanation for that. And David Arquette is just kind of a cute virginal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just find it funny that he was trying to play the hunks. The reason he, he chose Dewey and it's like, Dude, I don't know, especially with it, like the mustache in part five is, it, it looks cool. Like yeah. It's almost, you know, like, you know, um, uh, Quaid or whatever and that, you know, makes the comment or something. It's like off-brand uh, Sam, you know, Elliot or whatever, and it's kind of what he's, what he's got going on. But like in this one, it's some weird, like, I mean, it looks like he can't grow a mustache and he's trying, you know, it, yeah. it's really bad. Um, one um, thing about David Arquette is we will be revisiting him again, not just in the rest of the screen movies, but we will also be visiting him in uh, the season of When Bad Animals Go Bad for Eight-Legged Freaks. Uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, that probably combined with arachnophobia. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin Williamson, Phil uh, uh, Stu Mocker's uh, character is underwritten, or so he credits Matthew Lillard with turning character one of the, and that's what I talked about earlier. It's like I don't feel like Stu on paper is as good as what Matthew Lillard makes him. Like, oh, 100%. He's memorable. Yes. Uh, the mask is based on a few things: the painting scream, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Ed, Ed, Edward Munch, uh, the characters on the cover of Pink Floyd album "The Wall," okay, and and the ghostly characters that appeared in the nineteen thirties <gasps> Betty Boop cartoon. I love that cartoon. Yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, um, the mask is stark white and depicts a character of someone screaming and crying at the same time. Designer uh, Slareton uh, stated that the mask displayed uh, different emotions. Uh, is a horrible look. It's a sorry look. It's a frantic look. So I mean, it, but it's it, it fits the. I mean, it, it works. Yeah. And then, of course, they make fun of that in scary movie by making it have that you know the the stone face or whatever, which is hilarious. You know, the one that's like smiling and like you know baked out of his mind. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that one. <laughs> Uh, at around 13 minutes uh, at the beginning of the film, Billy uh, climbs through Sydney's bedroom window, startling her just like Glenn did to Nancy in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. and also, uh, Oh, go ahead. Go, no, I was going to say, go ahead. Oh, nothing. You have to continue for me to, to say what I'm going to say. I was going to say the jersey that Tatum wears is also uh, a tribute to Glenn because it's the same kind of shirt that Johnny Depp wore in that movie. Yes, and going on the, Johnny Depp. Fucking Ski Ulrich looked like a fucking Johnny Depp. I don't know. For a uh, new generation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he definitely had had the luck. Had. Yeah, yeah. Well, Skeet's still a. Uh, I oh, mean, he's a good looking uh, guy. Know, still. Yeah, he he's he still got it. Like and and but the weird thing about him is he bags like twenty year olds. Oh no! Skeet, like, well, I guess so does Johnny. Yeah, he. Yeah, he, that's what he's been, which I guess Johnny does too, but you know. Yeah, whatever. Johnny's way older than Skeet. Skeet at least Skeet, it's still okay-ish. Um, Skeet is still a good looking guy, but he doesn't look like Johnny Depp. He's got his own look to him. 
So, um, cause one of the weird things I thought this, I mean, this is obviously tangent, but, uh, Riverdale, they're, uh, one of the, uh, black characters on the show. Um, she, uh, very attractive girl, but like she, uh, there, I remember like when that, when Riverdale first started up, she, there was like on her social media on Instagram, she was posting how she was staying at Skeet's house. Mm, okay. Um, a little Skeet action, huh? Yeah, it never, they never officially came out and announced it, but I mean, you know, I don't, I, it, and if she was like a friend of one of his, his daughters, that's another thing, but still in all the pictures that she had with Skeet, they were very friendly. That's, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, whatever, if she's, you know, if it's consensual amongst adults, there's, you know, that, that is what it is. Well, as little John once said, to the windows, to the wall. <laughs> yep. Gross. <laughs> Uh, Drew Barrymore insisted on shooting off her scenes barefoot because her part in the movie was brief and she didn't like wearing shoes. Oh, good for you. Look at she. Look at only 12 <laughs> minutes in the film and she is fucking running shit. <laughs> yep. Even before she, she was in the film, she was like, this is what's going to happen. This is how I want it to be. I'm going to play this role. This, If you want me in this movie and on that poster, this is what's going to happen. And I'm yep, not going to wear shoes. I'm not going to wear them. Just don't like wearing them. I'm sorry, but isn't there a vulnerability to... Of not wearing shoes. Well, hundred percent, because that's the reason John McClane is such a recognized, uh, you know, action icon, because there was that whole scene where like he's, he's, he doesn't have his shoes and he has to walk through fucking glass and yeah. it, like, it grounds and humanizes him at the same time. Oh yeah. You know? So, um, at around 35 minutes, uh, although the killer's costume is often referred to as Ghostface, the costume is actually called Father Death oh, shit. Uh, in the movie. And then Dewey brings a costume in the labeled package in the police uh, station after Sydney is first attacked. So they, you know, they call it Ghostface, but the movie actually calls it Father Death at, at that point. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Wes Craven initially removed the bit where Casey says the first Nightmare on Elm Street film is great, but the rest suck because I, he, in his words, I thought that would make me look like an egomaniac. Uh, Kevin Williamson convinced him to keep it, pointing out that it was something a real-life fan would say about the movies. Oh, and, <laughs> burn. <laughs> well, I mean, Wes had the most impact on the first one, so it's actually a positive to Wes, and that's why he was probably saying that. Uh, okay. But there are fans that, I mean, I can understand that even though I like my favorite in the series, when we get to it, it's probably part three uh, because of the fun factor. Uh, part one is the straight-up best horror movie in the series. Yeah. So, that, you know, that makes sense. Uh, Bob Weinstein approached Robert Rodriguez, uh, Danny Boyle, George A. Romero, and Sam Raimi to direct. Uh, Kevin Williamson said if they don't get it, uh, said that they don't, that, uh, they didn't get it. And he was concerned that having read the script, many of the directors believed the film to be a purely comedy. It would have been under Raimi for sure. Yeah. Uh, ironically enough, Rodriguez would go on to direct the footage that they used for the fictional in universe film stab. Of, so. co of course he would. Of course he would, because <laughs> he is very much, it's like watching planet terror or seeing the, you know, the special previews. In those films, yeah. you know, yeah, right. yeah, he 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 loved the uh, the meta slash you know uh, throwback part of it. You know, that's that's what he was attracted to. I'm sure that is fucking uh, hilarious. Joaquin Phoenix was actually considered for the role of Billy Loomis, but he turned it down. Damn, I didn't realize I this movie was that because it feels like. When did Joaquin? Oh wait, I'm thinking River Phoenix. My bad, Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. No, I don't see it. 
uh, Joaquin has did a pretty good job now of yeah. showing that he's got the chops, but I don't know back then he would have had them. I, I, I agree with you on that. And he he's definitely grown into a more handsome gentleman. I didn't ever think he was good looking back then. No, he he, and you talk about babyface. He mm-hmm. was babyface back then. Yeah, uh, even even a movie that came out like almost ten years later. Well, it was several years later at the very least. Uh, Gladiator with uh, you know Russell Crowe. Uh, he plays that babyface emperor in that, and I, like I mean, he he definitely wouldn't have had the Skeet Ulrich effect. I keep you know, forgetting so. that was him. I keep forgetting that was him. <laughs> he was. He looked like a child in that film. He did. I mean, uh, he had the look of somebody who could play straight up evil in that movie. But, yeah. But I mean, that's actually the thing that would have probably, if he would have played it that way, would have hurt the movie because you're supposed to kind of, you know, believe that Billy is innocent up to a certain part of the movie and then like it and then have, you know, the, the flip or whatever. Yeah. So, at around 58 minutes, Tori Spelling was considered for the role of Sidney Prescott. Uh, um, at one point in the movie, when discussing who would play her in the movie, Dewey uh, uh, says he sees Sydney as a young Meg Ryan, and Sydney replies, "With my luck, it'd be Tori Spelling, <laughs> which who was actually, you know, originally considered." Uh, but she would actually go on to cameo and scream too as Sydney Prescott in the fictional in yes. the universe film Stab. Oh my god! I did not mean to snort. <laughs> <laughs> Tori Spelling would have totally not sold that. I hated Tori Spelling back in the day. I still can't. I don't. She only got her her relative bit of fame because of her dad. That, that's oh, the yeah. only reason. 100%. And not only that, she was in, obviously, Scary Movie 2. She was, yes. Yeah, which is funny because she was in, well, no, she was in, she played Sid and Stab. But um, uh, in Scary Movie 2, she wasn't even the main character. She was, she was, the, she was the, the whore friend. Yeah, she was the whore that got fucked by the ghost on the ceiling or whatever. Yeah. And, gave the, and gave him crabs or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. was actually auditioned for the role of Stu. Uh, that wouldn't have worked because no. I, Freddie Prince Jr., I don't feel like ha- he has, I mean, he worked as Fred at later on in Scooby Doo, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Yeah. But he doesn't have, to me, he doesn't have the personality to have pulled off no. uh, what Matthew Willard did. And he kind of had, uh, he was kind of uh, a little bit of a heartthrob. Back then, too, and Stu's character by far was not a heartthrob. No, it, and Stu specifically was supposed to be the wingman to yes. Billy, and and I think that you would have had competing mm-hmm. leading men in that sense. One hundred percent. Marco Beltrami decided to intentionally disregard conventional horror score styles. He approached the film as a western, taking influence from uh, Ennio Morricone, so uh, who did a lot of the you know spaghetti westerns back in the day. God, I'm trying to think uh, what film it was. I I I got so many goddamn screen movies. There was a scene, and I can't really say it was a um a western vibe to it, but it was. It could have been, but it it did not fit the scene. I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna remember it too. I watched too. I should have fucking wrote it down. All right. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like, I mean, they start blending together as far as mm-hmm. the kills for me. If it wasn't for these kill counts, I, I would forget some of them to be for sure. Yeah. Um, David Arquette and Matthew Lillard uh, were initially considered for the role of Billy Loomis uh, before uh, being eventually cast as, as Dewey and Stu, respectively. Uh, and then Arquette was also considered for the role of Stu. Um, 
I still, yeah, he does. He, he would have been able to get the, if we talk about like the wingman thing, he would have definitely had that versus, uh, you know, skeet. But at the same time, he, he doesn't sell menacing to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, uh, here's the thing too, is David Arquette played a deputy in this. And I know you can be a pretty young deputy, but you're still not a high school student. And, David Arquette kind of gave the adult face pretty well. Um, hold on one second. I'm, I'm, I'm getting age. Hold on, Matthew. There it goes. Okay, Matthew Lillard. Oh shit, Matthew Lillard is older than David Arquette. Which is funny because he looked younger. Mm-hmm, the, he did in that movie, and that's what I was kind of getting at. Is that I was like David Arquette looked. Older, not old, but older. <laughs> Matthew Lillard is two years older than David Arquette, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Talk about a baby face. He well, had it. Yeah, and to be fair too, Matthew Lillard still looks younger than David Arquette. He looks like he's yeah, in he's, his forties at best. Yeah, yeah, he still does look quite a bit younger. Um, in order to keep animal lover Drew Barrymore scared and crying, this is awful. Ugh. Wes Craven told her real-life stories of animal cruelty. During the DVD commentary, Craven said, the night before we started shooting, she told me a horrible story about a newspaper article about a dog <gasps> being hurt by its owner. Petri- it petrified her, and she started crying as she was telling me this. So every time that I needed her to get over the edge and into complete tears, I would just say, Drew, lighting the lighter, and she would just burst into tears. Oh, my uh, God. Just referencing that story. So that borders on the stuff that Friedkin would do to like, the <laughs> actresses in the, the exorcist, like just outright torturing them to get them to the emotional state he needed. As they say, <laughs> whatever it takes. <laughs> oh, this is awful. Elizabeth Berkeley auditioned for the role of Gail Weathers. Oh, uh, that, yeah, that, you know, she was a Jesse from, um, I say by the bell, uh, but was immediately turned down uh, due to the backlash she received for showgirls. Why was that uh, such a fucking, why was that such a fucking thing back in the day? Uh, the showgirls yeah. uh, drama. I, it, it was a weird thing because, like, it's it's a bad movie. Um, but at the same time, it sells itself on being so, you know, like, out there. And, you know, uh, and she was going in that role because she, she was the, you know, goody two-shoes Jesse, you yeah. know, from Saved by the Bell. So she went in the showgirls thinking, just like how Neb Campbell didn't want to be typecast. Well, she didn't want to be typecast that way or, like, I guess more appropriate, like Courtney Cox. So she tried to go a different route. And so she's like, I'm going to play this, like, you know, uh, really adult actress type or, you know, like a uh, thing. And then like the movie was bad. It wasn't sexy. Like, I mean, there wasn't, it, it, it didn't even like, to so the people it was trying to cater to, it didn't even do that. And it just bombed across the board. So I've that's, seen the I mean, movie. I don't remember hating it. I know it's not, it wasn't meant to be good. Maybe I just went into the movie, not thinking or having any expectations, but I personally don't think the backlash she received was, worthy it's bad for her because i don't feel like i mean just because she did that uh doesn't mean that she should have been immediately turned down like i mean yeah. it's 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 kind of bad for her um i think it's interesting though that they would later work that into the to the actual meta-ness of the movie and the fact that when they ask uh i think it's in part two they ask um randy what's you know on the phone you know uh he's like what's your favorite scary movie and then he's like showgirls absolutely frightening or whatever oh my god Um, i might have it in the quotes for that one but i'm pretty sure that's what it was 
Uh, Brooke Shields was nearly cast as Gail Weathers after Janine Garofalo turned down the role. Uh, no, I'm Janine Garofalo. She uh, could have played the bitch, but like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think she could have. Like Courtney Cox, uh, the thing about her wasn't that movie is that she played the bitch, but like there was something about her that you still liked. Yeah, and she I don't was think Janine could have sold that. No, and wasn't at that time wasn't Janine Garofalo playing Daria? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was doing. She was right on the verge of playing that character. She wasn't already in the uh, already of having played it. Yeah, so I think that I think that would have been a little recognizable too at that particular time. And I don't know. Brooke Shields, that's a weird one. Yeah, no, too, she's too. It's like remember how we always joke about when actresses are like, "I'm too pretty for you know this role or whatever." Like she would have been too pretty because she wouldn't have looked like a hometown, you know media personality she would have looked like a you know entertainment tonight or a little bit bigger of a personality and then yeah, you're like, she would have mm. looked like she'd already made it and yeah. didn't really need stories like that exactly know? uh and meyer and jason lee had auditioned for the role of randy meeks uh meyer lee and jamie kennedy were in the final uh callback for the audition process and then kennedy because he made west laugh was the one that ended up getting the role yeah, I could um, see Jason Lee potentially as Stu. Yeah, yeah. But not, yeah, Randy. As, as Randy, yeah, yeah. I don't think I could have seen him as Randy. He didn't have that virginal, you know, I don't know. Breck and Meyer doesn't have the personality. If Breck and Meyer would have got that role, I mean, because he always played the straight guy in comedies. So if he would have got that, it would have, Stu would have not, or I mean, not Stu, but Randy would have been like just kind of a dud character, in my opinion. So, yeah, I can't even um, think about Jason Lee without thinking about his daughter that he named Pilot Inspector. So, you know. <laughs> I just can't think of him about thinking my name is Earl and then thinking yeah. about him looking like Earl, which he wouldn't have. I mean, he was yeah. Brody back in the day, but still, it would have been funny. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart, Brittany Murphy, Alicia Witt, Melanie Linsky, and Melinda Clark auditioned for the role of Sidney Prescott. God, no, 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 and no. <laughs> I don't Melissa see it. Melissa Joan Hart is so weird in that role. Like, mm -hmm. I could... I can't imagine what it would have been like. Yeah, that sucks for her. Uh, and then Reese Witherspoon turned down the role of Sidney Prescott, so she almost got the role but then turned it down. This was around the time, well, you know, when I mentioned last episode, that movie uh, Freeway or whatever it oh, was yeah. that she was in where she was acting so weird or whatever in that one. This was around the time that she did that, so it would have been really odd to see yeah. uh, Reese Witherspoon in this one. Of course, if Reese would have got it and her being blonde, then I guess Rose McGowan could have stayed in her natural brunette if she would have been cast opposite her. But Yeah, um, but then Rose McGowan might have taken away from sydney with her fucking how gorgeous she is yeah yeah is was uh, you know because reese has never really been like a i mean she's she's cute but she's never really been a hollywood beauty mm -hmm. like i don't you know and then like you know but nev was hot back in the day so like it i don't know like it it would have been a weird situation that way yeah and to play someone damaged i don't know that reese would have had it yeah, she played damaged in Freeway, but it was a offbeat, yeah. weird, like, funny type of damage. It wouldn't have worked for what they wanted for this. Yeah. 
Uh, Nev Campbell uh, was initially reluctant to perform in another horror film so soon after a supporting role in The Craft. Uh, Robin Tunney, who also appeared in that film, was invited to meet with Wes about being in Scream, but she turned it down but because uh, she uh, because she said she wasn't interested in the story. So uh, and maybe it was because of, you know, knowing Robin that, like, you know, maybe Nev reconsidered. But, like, you know, that's kind of interesting that two people from The Craft were yeah. you know, potentially up for this movie. Okay. Can you imagine if... Uh, Bruce Balk would have gotten this movie at some point. Who? Um, uh, the the main chick in in the craft, the the main like evil witch. Oh yeah. Movie, oh the, yeah. Oh. That would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is that who the fuck are you to be like? I'm not interested in a Wes Craven movie. <laughs> that it's really weird like and if you look at like because i i've looked at some of the stuff for rob because we're going to cover the craft obviously in which season i mean yeah. there's no way around it i've looked at some of her and like she did like romantic movies like just rom-com type shit after this like so like what did that help her career by like turning down Wes? other than keeping her mostly away from horror films it doesn't seem to have done anything amazing um you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Seth Green auditioned for the role of Randy Meeks. I could see that. That would have that would have been interesting. Yeah, that, that, that would have worked. I think. One hundred percent. I used way. to mistake them all the time as each other. So you know, <laughs> all goofy white guys look the same. I don't know. <laughs> He's just so short. It would have been weird seeing That's him. Like, but true. I don't. But I don't know how tall some of those other actors were either, because you see them and they all look like they're you know you know five foot eleven, six foot tall. But then in reality, like most of the male actors in Hollywood are like you know five foot eight or some bullshit. Okay, so, so Jamie Kennedy is six foot. He's tall. He's as tall as he looks. Uh, why do I want to type? <laughs> I wanted to type Sydney Prescott, Nev Campbell height. She's five seven. She's pretty tall. Yeah, she's she is pretty, and that would have been weird to have Randy so much shorter than, because I, I think it fits having Randy. T I mean, if, since he's actually, you know, there's that whole like he's pining for uh, Sydney. If there was any chance, way, shape, or form for her to consider him, and that's, I mean, well, you think whatever you want. Yeah. But if you know, like Seth Green was like standing there shorter than her. Even though Seth Green did bag a chick in real life, his real life wife is actually taller than him. It, it just looks weird. Well, like, at you know, five it, four, Seth Green is the same height as Rose McGowan, so <laughs> he was going to eventually end up with a woman taller than him. Yeah. And the yeah. funny thing is, is that think about Rose McGowan; she was always in heels, so she was in she was at least five seven in the film because she was always wearing heels. So they made her tall. Uh, let's look at Skeet Skeet Skeet. I'm sure he's above six foot. Uh, he is, oh no, like... he's six foot. Oh, really? That's mm -hmm. surprising. Hmm. Uh, I think Matthew Lillard's fairly tall. He looks like he is versus, you know, um, six, a four. lot of his castmates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's got that tall linky look. So ev everyone was pretty fucking tall in this film. Yeah. So Wait, this is who was the guy that played Ghostface? Uh, let's see. I have to scroll way back because I've already, like, I don't like, uh, it was Lee Waddell. Okay, let me get his. You're going back on this thing where they shouldn't be uh, looking like they should stand that high if it's not the same person playing. Not them, but. really, but I, I, I did. I definitely noticed. Oh, they don't really give us height. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have to go back here. So, uh, 
we was down to all right justin whalen who uh played um uh, andy in child's play three was considered for the role billy loomis and even screen tested opposite nev campbell while she was auditioning for the role sydney prescott if you know what Justin Whalen looks like, he would have not have sold that character because he doesn't have the sinister. He doesn't have the potentially sinister look to him. Like he he was really babyface back in the day. Like I mean, more so than like maybe even um, uh, David Arquette was. If you if oh you, my I mean. god, no! Oh, he's still babyface. <laughs> he's like he's got an old baby face. Yeah, like he would have never sold that character the way that uh, Skeet did. So no fucking way. He definitely could have played the creep pretty well, but oh my god, it's a no from me. Uh, Rebecca Gayhart auditioned for the role of Tatum, but uh, scheduling conflicts with her film "Somebody Is Waiting" prevented her from landing the role. She later turned up in Scream Two, playing a sorority sister. She's one of those bitchy ones yeah. that's like next to Portia de Rossi in that movie. So. I didn't realize she was um, with Portia de Rossi, but I did notice that she looks exactly like the Noxzema girl in that, you know. <laughs> Kevin Williamson uh, gets more flack for the line about Tom Cruise's penis than any other uh, line in the film. How did I miss that? <laughs> What's the line? I don't remember. It, it's like something offhand that I, I think maybe Randy throws out or oh something. I, or, you know, but it's, yeah, it's it's in there. Um. And then you, well, you look it up, and then I'll go on to this. When leaving the police station with Sydney, Dewey chastises uh, Tatum for lack of respect in front of the other officers, specifically the sheriff saying he's my superior, uh, to which Tatum snidely replies, the janitor is your superior. Oh. Incidentally, Wes Craven portrays the janitor at high school, making ah. Tatum's insult accurate. Ah. I fucking love it. Um, did you ever find out the line yet? Or? I'm looking right now. Tom Cruise penis. I watch the Google is going to uh fuck me up and scream. Hold on. Okay, let's see what comes up. Uh, I don't like what I'm getting. <laughs> okay, we'll move on because I don't want you to be seeing uh some oh, kind of deep fake. I found it. It says. Uh, fucking shit! I just had it in like once I hit the page. It was something about the movie All the Right Moves. All right, let's just continue on. Okay, so let's. What are we talking about? Final Girl, Sydney. Um, she's perfect. Final Girl, like she stands up for herself. She's, uh, I mean, there's enough vulnerability yet. Like you can believe, just like Wes. You know, the reason he cast her, you can believe she can stand up for herself. Um, you know, you can tell that she's got like a dark backstory, which makes her interesting as a final girl. She's not just a, I mean, in the, you know, just that, you know, naive, like, I mean, her, you know, her mom's died a year before, like she's got baggage. She's, you know, I, I feel like she is a great final girl. There's no, I'm to me, like, I don't, I feel, and Nev Campbell sold the character. I don't know what, what's your thoughts on her. Um, I can't disagree with you on anything uh she really was she is she's she's strong but she's weak i think it's her weakness in this film that makes her strong and she's like i'm weak but i'm not gonna go down without fighting um yeah and she gets fucked up i mean like she's not one of those she's she's not what would you guys like to call it the mary sues oh yeah yeah she's i mean that's they actually make fun of that in scream five i think talking about how one of the characters later on stab was a complete mary sue the one right you know the last one that was released and i think that's hilarious because i think that was meta commentary talking about ray from uh star wars but yeah. um 
it's 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 a good point though. I mean, you want your main character to feel like there's a struggle if there's any kind of growth to be had, and you can't have them being perfect right off the bat. We've discussed that before, and you know they they sell her being vulnerable enough to where that that you see the growth. And the vulnerability doesn't really leave. She constantly feels like she has to be in like a state of fight almost, but she's also like she's learned a lot. And she's not stupid. Someone who has survived something like this over the, the, you know, film as it continues on, you would think that she'd be like, oh, well, I've survived it before. I'll survive it again. No, she is still scared. And she's always looking out for herself and her people. Um, she doesn't feel like she's invincible. Um, so, again, it's that's obviously that's the case in this film. She doesn't ever give off that uh, I'm better than anybody I'm going to survive. She's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, my God. Wow, I barely escaped that one. Holy shit. Uh, she's a very realistic final girl. Um, I dig it. Yeah, 100%. Um, slasher, uh, Billy and Stu is Ghostface. Um, love it. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I mean, they're... They are the ghost faces to beat, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, and I think that's terrible for the people who have to take on the role after that. And and be perfectly honest, I know this is skipping ahead. I don't think anybody beats them Mm-mm. ever. No, and they definitely try, uh, you know, but it, it's just no. And it, it's so perfect because it really answers a lot of questions like, how does Jason Voorhees always end up where he needs to be at the right time? right behind the person, and this answers a question of, oh, the reason why they're always at the right place at the right time or wrong place at the right time, depending which character you are in the film, is that because there's two of them. Yeah, and there's, I there's did two. Not, yeah, I did not expect that. Uh, it was a nice, refreshing thing to see in a movie of this is a human killer, which this almost <laughs> this is almost a human horror type of thing, you know? Yeah, this, even though this is uh, a slasher in that sense, I mean, there's nothing supernatural about the killers whatsoever. They're totally, I mean, you know, like we covered earlier about Ghostface, even though there's that joke about him being clumsy, that's because he's human, you know? Yeah. It's, um, the best kill in the movie for me uh, is probably Casey, just because you have that scene with her guts like yeah. hanging out of her, which is awful. And her parents, you know, that horrific like scene of her mother responding to that. Ooh, it's bad. Um, Tatum's the other one, because even though it's a goofy kill in the sense that a garage should not do that. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's one of, it's the, it's the most interesting one otherwise, because it didn't involve a knife. It was, you know, like she was crushed to death, you know? Yeah. I loved that scene, uh, with, with Tatum. It's going to be Tatum for me. And then of course, Casey for a second for me, cause you're right. Like Casey's a fucking gory as fuck, but I fucking loved that garage scene. And it's kind of, I mean, it really depends There are, there are heavy duty garages. You would think that they would stop because there's some hesitation, uh, really just kind of depends, but it was funny cause she's skinny, but she's just fat enough that she can't quite get out of that little hole, you know? Yeah. And it builds up the anxiety just a little bit. It's like, uh, is she going? No, no, it's too small. She's not going to make her way out of there. And yeah. Then, you know. I mean, and the garage scene kind of does come back to play in later films and that's obviously more realistic. Um, it doesn't actually kill someone, but I guess we'll discuss that when, when it comes up. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely in there. Um, the best scream, Casey's mom. She's got it going on. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. 
Uh, and Dewey is the close second because that scene where uh, uh, Sydney uh, appears at the door and he's got like the mask in his face. She screams at him, then he screams back. It's such a girly yes. scream. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 definitely up there. Uh, he screams a few more times in the franchise, so yes, he's he's uh, he's a top contender for sure. <laughs> Uh, the best killer motive. Um, so Stu claims he doesn't have one and they don't really give him one in this movie, but fans have speculated, uh, that uh, several possibilities that either it's because he's misogynistic Mm -hmm. because he kills both his ex-girlfriend and his current girlfriend in the movie with no apparent qualms about either one of them. Wait, who was his ex-girlfriend? I think Casey was. Oh, was she? I, th- I think that's what the hint was because mm-hmm. she's had, the only other. F- yeah, he had, he had a type, horrible blondes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but there's also the other theory that he secretly more than liked Billy. And maybe that's the reason that, you know, he went along with what Billy said. He claims peer pressure whenever he, ha- he's like, well, just peer pressure, you know, if you want, if you have to have a motive, but there's the fan theory that maybe he was a little more into Billy than the movie you know, necessarily said. Yeah. Know. And I could buy that. He had, he had gay vibes for Billy for sure. Yeah. They, they were a little too pally at times, mm-hmm. like more than just, you know, just regular friends. So. Yeah. So it's some, they definitely did butt stuff. Which is funny because in Scary Movie, Ray, who is supposed to represent oh, yeah. Billy to a certain extent, well, not Billy, but Stu. Yeah. Uh, Straight up, like, I mean, you know, maybe that's why they went that route with him. He's he's gay, but he's the kind that won't admit that he is. Yeah. Uh, and then Billy, of course, has the the very traditional one of his family was broken up by Sydney's mom. And so it's basically, it's it's a revenge plot, but it's it's got a twist on a revenge plot. It's like, it's not just straight up revenge. It's because he's so distraught over his family being destroyed that he's getting, that he got revenge not only on the person who did it, but also on the, on her daughter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes sense because something had to drive him over. I think he kind of always had, there had to be some more fucked up shit going on in his home other than his mommy leaving him. If he was such a mama's boy, mama probably wouldn't have left him. So I think there was other stuff going on that we're never going to find out. You know, obviously this is me making up my own shit. You know, I think he was already, I think he already had psycho tendencies. Yeah, yeah, he... He has vibes that he had those, uh, you know, which they, you know, they bring up as one of the things in part two we'll be getting to uh, for Mickey. But, um, you know, but yeah, they, it was, and maybe, and that's funny too, because of the relationship that Nancy has in part two to Mickey. I wonder if that's like an extension of her relationship with her son, who she might, you know, maybe felt, you know, had the same kind of tendencies that she saw as a child. Yeah. Um, how annoying is the Doom Prophet? Uh, I guess Sydney's the Doom Prophet, like in this movie. There's really not one, but she's the one that goes around, like, you know, uh, more worried about ghosts because everybody else in town's like celebrating. The only person who gives a shit about Ghostface in the first movie is uh, Henry Winkler's character. Yeah. God. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. I guess there really is no annoying Doom Prophet. I wouldn't say she's annoying. She's. No, no. I mean, it's she clearly has reason to be afraid of him. Yeah. But I mean, like she's the only one that goes around saying, you know, worried about Ghostface throughout the rest of the movie. Because even Tatum's like, oh, Mister Ghostface, you know, we going. Yeah. Like she gives no no shits about it. Uh, Randy is, you know, uh, 
makes it distances himself from it by making it all a big movie that he's yeah. playing a part in. And then Dewey is too goofy to <laughs> like, you know, really be anything that, and the sheriff only takes it seriously after like several kills have happened. Like before that he's denying everything. Yeah. Um, the best side character, it's Randy or Stu. Uh, and I, it's a toss up. I love both of them. I, I can't choose. It's kind of hard because Stu is like, he's a killer. So he's technically, it's like he's Ghostface. He's a, he's a main character. There's two parts that make Ghostface. There's two personalities that make Ghostface. So that's the only reason that eliminates him for me. It's got to be Randy because Randy is the person. Because Noah was asking what the relevance of Randy was in the films. I was like, you don't understand. All the way through film three, maybe even, I, I'm I, like I said, they, they're sludging together. But... Uh, he explains his relevance in the films, you know, whether it be in real life or via a VCR, you know. Um, he is the he is the audience stand-in, if nothing yes. else. Like, he is literally the horror fan made, you know, a- an avatar inside the movie is what yeah. he is. Um, even after death. Sorry, spoiler alert. But even after <laughs> death, he, he's still relevant. Um, so that's, that's going to be the best side character for me. Uh, I can't disagree with that. I mean, if you rule Stu out, obviously for that reason, then yeah, Randy would have to be. And then the dumbest moments, um, there's a few, but Sydney fumbling with a chain on the door and then running back upstairs after she just told Randy, quote unquote, on the phone that only idiots run upstairs <laughs> instead of out the front door. <laughs> I mean, she just said it, you know, I yes. mean, and then Tatum in the garage. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, like, seriously, she looked at that, thought she could crawl through it. Like, she would have been better off in this, and this happens in so many horror movies, to have tried to dodge and weave, like, yeah. around Ghostface back into the house and to try that damn door. Oh, my God. It was so funny. You know, it, the, the hard part is, is that there was a time in my life where I was small enough to fit through doggy doors, and there's no way now. But... <laughs> I'm still small, but there is no, my butt ain't letting me fit through nothing except for loose jeans, you know? But, but like, so I could, at that age, I could see myself, and it was her butt. It was her butt and her thighs that prevented her from getting all the way through. Yep. You know, she thought maybe I could just squeeze through, but even then it wouldn't have been fast enough. Um, so I understand it, but it was really the dumbest move because you get to an age where you've like, you've locked yourself out of the house. And you're like, fuck, I got to get through this doggy door. Oh fuck. I'm stuck in the doggy door now. I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> Take a little walk. Tell you that you've been a good 